0: The following program contains language and subject matter that you may consider unsuitable for children. Parental discretion is advised.
1: Greetings, Earthlings. This is Captain Smell So Good of the Starship Smelly Prize with my international co-host, and And while we're not soaring through the cosmos looking for alien chicks, we're hanging out in the nuttiest head on and off the internet. That is the Jackal yes. Are we ready to
2: blast
3: off? You are about to enter a new dimension inside.
2: Raise your hand!
4: I'm
2: going to pass the reins to Mr. Jackal, the new king of Brady
1: What the heck happened last night? Hang on to your hats because you're about to go on a heck of a ride through time, space, and the multiverse. How do I reach these kids? Atlanta, Georgia. Greensboro, North Carolina. Shawna, North Carolina. Chicago. Tampa, Florida. Miami. Dallas, Texas. I don't care where the city is.
2: How do I reach these gigs?
1: And with all the high-tech gizmos these days?
0: The biggest trick the jackal ever pulled was to convince the world that he doesn't exist.
2: I reached the gig. The jackal. <laughs>
4: Alright everybody, welcome to Inside the Jackal's Cabeza. This is your host, the Jackal. And we are back live here on PSN-Radio.com. I want to welcome everybody who is listening in on the stream tonight and who is listening to us from all over the internet. Talk stream live Inception Radio, which is uh, going to be carrying the show now soon. Soulflow Radio as well. And, of course, all my friends on my own chat room, jackalshead.com. Thank you for listening. If you guys want to call in and ask any questions, please do so. You could do that at two different ways, actually. One is you can call us through Skype if you're a Skype user, which who the heck in 2013 is not using Skype at this point? But if you're not using Skype, shame on you. You're You're a loser, and you need to get with the program. Get Skype. You can Skype us at PSN Radio, and uh, if you want to call in, the number is 786-245-8127. Now, tonight I have James Swagger on the show, and I'm really, 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 really... That's a lot of realies Yeah, that's a lot of realies Pete. That's right. Really looking forward to having this gentleman on. He's a really cool guy, and uh, he's actually a host now here on PSN Radio. Great show, too, Capricorn Radio. Uh, everybody should check his show out. Uh, we're going to have him on the show, and uh, we're going to talk to him about everything inside his head that's right we're gonna peek inside james swagger's head and we're gonna get our swag on with james swagger right here on inside the jackal's head that's gonna be in about 30 minutes i just uh want to let everybody know that right before this show jamie Haviken, who's uh just rejoined psn radio does this show inception radio and A great show. I mean, really, really great show. And uh, I was lucky enough tonight, he was asking me if I wanted to uh, co-host a segment with him. And uh, I had a really great time co-hosting with uh, Jamie. It's like old times. See, Jamie and me go way back. Like babies and pacifiers. But we go way back. We used to co-host together. And being back on air with him was was just really great. So, loved being on air with him. And kind of a funny thing happened. We're on air and we're talking to his guest, uh, James Carmen, who he had on. And they're talking about the hidden hand of the movie that uh, he's promoting. And as we were talking, about halfway into me being on air, I realized, oh, this is the same guy I just booked for this show <laughs> coming up in November. And I didn't want to say nothing, you know, because I don't want to just throw off the conversation because, you know, James Carman is a very interesting fellow. And uh, so I just kind of stayed quiet. And very funny, I don't have the audio now, but I will have it later as soon as uh, Jamie puts the archive up. uh, Where where, uh, Jamie asks him, you know, what other shows are you going to be on And, and whatnot. And James goes on, this is a list of shows he's going to be on in the near future to promote. Uh, you know, speak, speaking engagements, and he says, "In this Valor Angel Espino's show." I'll just, oh, wait! I think I'm talking to him now. That's right. So, just to promote that, uh, coming up November tenth, officially. I could say it. James Carman will be on the show, uh, and it was funny having you know talking to him for a few minutes here on uh, Jamie's show. But uh, he's a really interesting guy. If you guys uh, look up his website, if you have a chance, it's uh, the hidden. Well, actually, it's not the. It's just www.hiddenhandthemovie.com. Once again, that's uh, www. Hiddenhandthemovie.com. So check that out. Uh, I haven't seen the video yet. I'm really looking forward to watching it and uh, checking it out. Uh, Jamie was looking at it and he was telling me how incredible it is. And uh, it's, I mean, the, the cast of people that he interviews or talks to in, in this video is pretty interesting. I mean, there's a lot of really, really interesting folks that he goes on and on about here. Uh, to me, the most important one, I think, is Dr. Edgar Mitchell. As you know, he's the sixth man to walk on the moon, astronaut, uh, and all that stuff. And, uh, if there's anybody out there who has the credibility and you follow you'll be Edgar Mitchell I think. Uh so that's uh, going to be an interesting interview in November with uh once again James Carman. Uh but tonight we got another James. We have uh, Mr. James Swagger. And like I said we're going to get our swag on with Mr. James Swagger pretty soon as uh we talk to him and uh, we're going to discover what Capricorn Radio is really all about. Like I said they just joined the network here a couple a couple weeks ago and uh, It's really, really a good show. I I recommend everybody check check their show out. Uh, In fact, if you go to the uh, website, which, by the way... Sorry, I had to burp there. Um, I just wanted to to mention real quick... uh, Another funny thing that happened, regarding the website, psn-radio.com, everybody please make their way there if you're listening through Shotcast or wherever, and check out the website, it's a very simple website, a, you know, I, I made it user-friendly, because I used to get a lot of complaints from the listeners that the uh, the button uh, that played the audio automatically played, and they're like, you know, Jacko, oh please, it's auto-playing, and it's driving me crazy, then I go to the chat room, and I got, you know, I got two people, and this and that, and... So I take off the autoplay from the from the thing because the people were complaining about it, right? So I put a, a nice, simple click-to-play tab right on the front page, which takes you to the chat room, so you can go into the chat room, and you can press the player yourself and turn it on. This way, nobody is pulling your arm or anything like that. You could just go in there and click the little play button, boom, and you're on the air, right? And you can start listening to what we're talking about here. And then I have people not complaining that the autoplayer is not playing. I mean, this blew my mind. I had actually uh, a complaint yesterday. Well, see, we couldn't get to listen to the show because, well, the auto player is not playing. So you can't, you just, you can never win. You can never really win. Doesn't matter how hard you try. You just can't win. Uh, Real quick, I'm going to add Jamie back on. He wanted to uh, join us real quick. What's up, buddy? What's going on? Man, I'm just tripping out about this website thing. I don't know if you're listening uh, to what I was yeah, talking about uh, here. I was.
3: I just paused it as I answered Skype.
4: It, this is it's trippy, man. I had people complaining for months. Jackal, this autoplay, uh, you know, this tab button, it's you know, autoplaying play. and this and that. And as soon as I take it off, I get complaints that it's not playing.
3: Oh, Thank really? You. Oh, man, come on. Well, they, people get used to stuff, but I find, truthfully, I do find it annoying when I pop on a site. For the first time, and there's it, it, most people, me, if I pop on a site and there's audio playing and I cannot stop it within six to ten seconds, I close it. I'm just being honest. But people that are used to going to your site expect it. And, um, you know, I would just make a graphic point here, press play, you know. But, uh, yeah,
4: I was even talking about doing something like that or creating. Uh, for example, uh, maybe a video showing everybody how, the way the website works and how to get to wherever they want to get to. Yeah, would, It's uh, really not complicated.
3: The, the, the little crappy slide I have up now, of course, um, I'm, I'm just using the Shoutcast default player, and it plays by itself. I had to go into the script and, and change the autoplay feature, and it, it was easy to find. But I just have a little graphic that's a, with an arrow to listen, press play, and it points right to the player.
4: So, do I? If you go to our chat room, and, I, and literally where, where you type, yeah. it says, play me. I mean, that is so easy and obvious.
3: I see it right there, play me, and it's got the jukebox. Yeah.
4: I mean, I, I couldn't, unless I put a little video right there next to the, to the chat room, where like, you know, like hearing impaired, we have somebody like signing, languaging, and everything, uh, with even the letter saying, play me, it's right here with it. You know, like, I'm going to have to do something like that, I guess, just to please everybody. And here we go, Alex in the chat room saying, "Yeah, the auto player was better." Well, Jesus Christ, you can, you know. Come on, now, people, get with the program, everybody. One or let's. This is the stuff we have to deal with when we are, you know, the owners of networks. But Jamie, you know, we—I was just saying before this, yeah, uh, how much fun I had, you know, being on your show with uh, with uh, Mister James Carmen.
3: Yeah. The Hidden Hand, the, the film. And, uh, yeah, it was great to have you on. I have to be honest, uh, the first, what, uh, first 40 minutes, I watched a documentary, the film, which I think everybody should. It's an eye-opening uh, film that just brings everything together. I watched it, but unlike most people, I don't ask for 50 questions, and I just kind of roll and like to act like a listener and try to come up with questions top of my head well having a little bit of trouble and then i I said that's why i need a permanent co-host and so um jackal said well bring me on and so and when i took my first break he came on and yeah we flowed good but it's funny after i brought you on just questions just started coming to me like all random like (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) like, oh yeah now you want to come to me
4: that happens to me all the time too so i don't feel bad Sometimes when I'm alone on air with a guest, I just go blank. And then if somebody else joins me for a little while, like I, I, w- I just won't let them talk because everything just comes right back to me. Uh, it's, uh, it's crazy the way this radio stuff works.
3: All right. Hopefully I refresh your chat and it doesn't go bung-dung because bung I just logged into XSAT. It probably will. You know what? Yeah. I I'm just want to say this real quick. I didn't use my XSAT chat for a while because we switched over to one that was compatible with the uh, app. And I go back in my chat rooms up for sale.
4: So. Yeah, that's crazy. i never abandon
3: I'm... your chat room for a couple months.
4: Yeah, I'm afraid to do that now. They're going to sell PSN radio. All right, no ding. They can't sell my station.
3: See that? Anyway. If you would had autoplay when I refreshed right there, it would have went bing, ding. Right. So I'm signed in as myself. Good.
4: And here, Alex just uh, said, how to use PSN radio for dummies? Uh, that's not a bad idea. I'm going to have to write that book and sell it. That would be my niche there, Jamie. I'll, I'll write my own book. book. Yeah, make an
3: audio book with graphics. I don't know. Yeah, You have to make a book for people with graphics, definitely. They'll have to be able to see it, not just listen to it, because you're telling them now how to do it, so not really much of a difference.
4: Yeah, this this is pretty much the audio book that you're going to get. Just listen to this episode at the very beginning when I talk about it. Full description. Just click on the damn button and Go to the chat room and just click on that button. But moving on, there's a couple of news articles that I wanted to get to, uh, which I, were tripping me out, man. I want to get your take on this. I
3: got some nice uh, ones, too. So go ahead. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Just, did you read this? That more takers, uh, there are more takers for the one-way trip to Mars than for Obamacare. Did you hear about this?
3: You know, is that what he was talking about? The people in the Netherlands are signing up for this trip to Mars. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah.
4: This is crazy. Uh, this is in a one-step yeah. spinning. Uh, one state spending about $12,000 so far to attract each new uh, insurance customer. Uh, they're saying this is probably the worst launch ever for any kind of you know program from the government. Uh, but it says here the Mars Colony Project has about 200,000 commitments from would-be space cadets outpacing America's interest in affordable care. That's kind of scary when more people want to just leave the world than take you know, part of, uh, of, of affordable health care. That's crazy to me. You
3: remember where he said 75% of the people signed up from, right? Where? What country? The United States. Yeah, well, yeah. And this is, I think it's being run from the Netherlands, I believe. I don't know. I'm on space.com. And I'm looking at one of the articles, might not be the same one, but yeah, I mean, to sacrifice yourself because once you're in space for six months, I mean, he said, the guest James Carmen I had on said once you're in space for six months, well, it takes three to get there, three to get back, and then whatever you do there, you know, you come back, the gravity would be too much. But there's been people that have been on the space station much longer than than six months, nine months, years, like a year, at least a year I know of, so... I don't know, but they'd be like a self-sacrifice. I would definitely take some cyanide capsules with me.
4: Look, I'll tell you this much. Any trip to <laughs> Mars could definitely be a one-way trip. I mean, you don't know what you're going to encounter realistically over there. You, yeah, we know the rover and what they tell us, but you know, being there as a person and living there is a whole different experience, I'm sure.
3: I actually have uh, a clip here about uh, how to die on Mars, the Mars One project explained. It's pretty pretty weird. So one minute, check that out. seconds, yeah. I'll link you to the the link uh, that it's on. But yeah, very the, interesting.
4: Now, this year, it as it, it a startup venture recruiting people for a one way, forty three million mile trip to to live on Mars has generated more signatures uh, than the all Obamacare health care plan. Just about seven hundred and twelve people in Vermont have enrolled in the uh, state's new health care. Exchange, despite nine million dollars in the outreach advertising. Now, see, that's crazy to me. Why are they spending this much money on something that everybody knows that we need? I don't know. I mean, everybody is aware that there is already a health care plan. Everybody knows that Obama Care is already a law. Pretty much, that's common knowledge at this point. Why are they spending nine, ten, twenty, whatever million millions of dollars to? Promote something that everybody is aware of that is there already. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just makes sense just to put it on the websites, put it out there, and just let it be there. You know, there's no need to advertise.
3: According to some of my callers I've had in the past, all you need to do is go to the FBI's jump room, and you can go to Mars in a couple seconds.
4: That's true, too. Yeah, I'd like to actually take that trip myself. You know what? I think I'm going to sign up for that trip to Mars. I have nothing to lose.
3: Uh, 165,000 people <laughs> have signed up. I, I don't know if they're still taking applicants or not, but yeah, sign up, man.
4: I'll tell you what, though, it'll be an interesting episode of Inside the Jackal's Head live from the red <laughs> planet.
3: That would, and uh, yeah, your co-host would be here on Earth. Yeah,
4: <laughs> probably. Uh, it, it's, I don't know if they're ever, at least not in our lifetime, are we're ever going to see men on Mars. I think uh, we but it, it'd be so interesting to see that, man, to conquer that, because that's a long mission. It really is. I know there there is that chance that you know there's a point where the planet is really close to Earth, and it might take like three or four months just to get there. So it's not that long of a trip on the way there. But still, to live on another planet, when it does move away from the Earth, it is very far away. To if you have to escape the planet, there's really no way out of there.
3: It might already be occurring. If you think about the technology that we supposedly have, you're supposed to imagine what you th- you think we have, and then go forty years beyond that. That's what we really have. Who knows That's true. out there? I mean, they after the space shuttle was retired, they brought out like this miniature space shuttle that they never talked about, but you know had three point something trillion dollars put into the making of the damn thing.
4: Well, yeah, there's always that rumor that uh, the government's what a hundred years ahead of. Uh Current
3: technology. Yeah, I mean, you think about the stealth plane was released to the public. Uh, The you know they were released before I was born. So the technology we have now, you know, we were probably flying the stealth bomber in eighteen eighty. I doubt that. I think uh, most technology
4: probably somewhere actually. Probably a little bit sooner than next in the late seventies early eighties that people were reporting already what
3: no I say it was eighty eighteen eighty
4: <laughs> oh eighteen I was that you meant the nineteen eighties. I was like a little bit earlier than that actually uh seventies perhaps yeah the stealth bomber I don't know if it was that early, but uh
3: no no it was it was um for sure nineteen eighty is when um it was at least flying and so when it replaced the um the um um, what the hell? Well,
4: yeah, but they were doing tests way before that.
3: Yeah, oh yeah, for sure.
4: Way, way before so that.
3: At least, you know, that's when at least it was flying. By the the latest or earliest, whatever.
4: Now here's a crazy, bizarre story. I don't know if uh, you're familiar with uh, with uh hip hop artist, CeeLo CeeLo oh. Green. You know CeeLo
3: Very well. He also well, goes by the name. What was that song he sang? It was a. Uh, oh, go ahead.
4: This is crazy, and uh, like we didn't see this one coming, but CeeLo Green was recently charged with supplying ecstasy. Oh, really? And could face up to four years in prison after being charged Monday, with, this past Monday, with uh, giving a woman ecstasy, the voice uh, mentor, uh, who's 39, was charged with a felony count of furnishing and controlled substance to an unidentified 33-year-old woman on July 2012. According to a statement issued by the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office, Green, whose real name is Thomas DeCarlo Calloway, was allegedly uh, dining at a restaurant in downtown LA when the woman was slipped her ecstasy. According to a statement, the two uh, later went back to the woman's hotel room. Prosecutors uh, declined if uh, any sexual activity happened, but probably did. Let's just leave it at that.
3: Well, you know, Gnarls Barkley is CeeLo Green.
4: Gnarls Barkley is CeeLo Green? Is that yeah. Is that,
3: that real really? That song? I know. Yeah, I've heard,
4: okay. well, uh, yeah, but I didn't even know that was really him, really. Yeah, that is
3: him, for real. Look it well, up. I'm about, to, I'm about to look
4: that up. Yeah. But that's crazy. So uh, CeeLo Green might be going to prison for a while.
3: Hmm. Yeah. So much for his seat on, what was he on? Was he on American Idol, The Voice, something? He was on something. Yeah,
4: on The Voice, yeah, he was on The Voice.
3: I don't watch that much of that kind of stuff, but I know he was doing something. I wonder, no, never mind, I'm not going there. <laughs>
4: Like we, like, look. There's a. Let me tell you something. Every rapper or every uh, hip hop mogul or artist does drugs. There, <laughs> I said it. Yeah. They but, just do. You know, just you kind of got, just kind of get to look, you know, away and just uh, let it happen because it's going to happen. The, the the whole music industry, the entertainment industry, there's is drug riddled. Man, there's not much we can do about that. Oh, Those God. guys are all lost. I mean, every single one of them.
3: They don't only have to pay. The stuff just gets thrown on stage. plays try. <laughs> yeah. My- Give me a call. My card's on the pills. There's my sister's tear up. <laughs> yeah. My sister's here up, little Wayne.
4: And here, one more uh, report that I want to get to before we uh, move on for commercials and then get our guest of the evening, Mr. James Swagger, who's going to uh, again be with us at the 30 minute mark. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger reportedly is trying to change the law so he can run for president. Nice. You heard about this?
3: No, I haven't. Not yet
4: says here, action star and former California Governor Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger has been lobbying for support to change the law to allow him to run for president in 2016. Now, this is according to the New York Post. It uh, says here, we're told Arnold has been openly uh, talking about political ambitions that he has while in New York to promote his new movie uh, with Sylvester Stallone called Ex- Escape Plan. One source said that Schwarzenegger has been talking openly about working on getting a constitutional rule changed so he could run for president in 2016, and he was really serious. He says he is ready to uh, file legal paperwork to challenge the rules. I don't know how I feel about that. I love Arnold's movies. I'm a fan of his work, but are we ready to have a foreigner who is known to be a foreigner? Because there's rumors about Obama, obviously, for years. Uh, but as far as we know, he's born in Hawaii, and he's American. Uh, but are we ready for an, a person from Austria? Austria. Austria. To be the president of the United States of America? I don't know if, if this country's ready for that, Arnold. He's going to have a hard time uh, getting this constitutional rule changed, I think. Yeah. It's a crazy idea, though. President Schwarzenegger.
3: Just got some feedback from the show. Uh, great show, Jamie. Thanks for having me on. I'll let you know about the Orlando thing and look forward to the upcoming show. So, yeah, good feedback.
4: Yeah, Dean yeah, Carmen was a good guy. Good, good guy to interview. I can't wait to have him on here next month, November 10th. Yeah,
3: it's a good thing that, like, you know, I didn't say, hey, I got this guest on tonight. He said, well, wait a minute, I have him on, too. So we definitely have to cross-reference. Maybe we should throw together, like, a mutual calendar.
4: <laughs> That's not a bad idea. <laughs> You know, Facebook where I do all my events on Facebook mostly, and uh, that's actually a really cool place because it has a calendar. And if you do yours, and you know we're linked up, I could see your events as I pull my calendar. Also, on
3: I started a group called uh, like something radio shows, and I was hoping uh, all the different radio shows would kind of join it, and then there'd be one calendar where people could see who has who, so that they don't override each other because. I'll tell you there's been times even on you know my network that uh where there was uh the same guest back to back the same night and then the next day. So it was just crazy. Wow. People need to communicate.
4: No kidding. Well at least we're spaced out uh at least a week. Oh yeah. That's, it. <laughs> that's what we're good. <laughs> And uh, James Swagger just uh, messaged me that uh, he, he thought he was running late, but no, James, you're good. We're gonna be on here in a few minutes. He's uh, a very, very pro personality. This man, he's a very professional, so he's uh, eager to be on the air with us. He's, you're gonna love uh, James Swagger, man. Really classy dude.
3: Nice, nice. I'm gonna have to uh, get some links and do some reading while we're talking with him.
4: Yes, indeed. Uh, In fact, it's time for that break that I keep talking about, so we're going to do that. We're going to go on break. We'll be back with uh, James Swagger on Inside the Jackal's Head. And, by the way, if you guys want to call in and ask him any questions, uh, please do so. We look forward to your participation. We encourage your participation. Damn right we need your participation, because if not, this show gets boring, so please call in and... Ask him something; it'll be great. He'll like it. I'll like it. I know Jamie will enjoy it. Yeah. We'll all have a good time. So, mm-hmm. if you're listening, call in 245-8127. And again, you could find us on Skype. Just look up PSN Radio on Skype and uh, send me a friend a- request.
3: Too, you know.
4: Oh, look! And Jamie has a number. Give out your number too. We could Man, it'll it be was- kind of like West of the Rockies, East of the Rockies type of deal.
3: All right. It is, let's see here, it 661 1-877-661-8611. Again, 877-661-8611.
4: There you go. You're listening in to Inside of Jackal's Head here on PSN Radio, Flow Radio, and Inception Radio with Jamie Havican over here. Indeed. We'll be, we'll be right back.
1: Just go, so that is the tempo.
0: Comic Book Service, where you can save 40-75% to 75% off on new comics, collected editions, graphic novels, action figures, statues, and other one-of-a-kind items from DC, Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, Boom Studios, Top Cow, Dynamite, and many, many more. Go to www.dcbservice.com for easy ordering and fast delivery. Or you can visit our brick-and-mortar location at 10202-C Coldwater Road in
4: Fort Wayne, Indiana.
1: DCBS, welcome home. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store.
0: Seven three 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 seven four. that's 9549733374 or visit keyinformation.com
2: 4734 UFO sightings in 2007. abductions by aliens or unknown species, reported by American and British citizens. downloadable information from the largest selection of ufo products on the internet by going to the ufostore.com or call on the 24-hour seven-day-a-week order line at 541-523-2630 the truth is out there and the ufostore.com has it This is George
0: Rodriguez, and Boca Brian is forcing me to encourage everyone to listen to all of the other shows on SoFloRadio.com. No, I'm not. You're making me do this because nobody's listening to any of the other shows. They uh, they suck, and you don't want to listen. <laughs> Turn it off now. <laughs> Where are we? Hi, everybody. This is Such Coleman. You know, SoFloRadio.com is like a scab. <laughs> don't eat it. What does this computer do? It tunes into SoFloRadio.com. And also makes a nice doorstop elizabeth taylor movie legend we lost her too soon gone but not forgotten now you can own an authentic piece of movie history elizabeth taylor's ashes in a small commemorative urn
2: remember remember i want you to forget me please
0: For just $29.95 plus shipping and handling, we'll send you an ounce of real superstar soot. Elizabeth Taylor, movie legend. You can have a piece of her forever.
2: Command performances leave me quite
0: cold. Call today. Hurry. Quantities are limited.
1: We rolling now,
4: officials? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Put the beat up a little. Uh Uh-huh,
3: uh-huh
0: some cats
2: grow by the lawns in the wild some learn slower and lack in the mud some stand up in the fence of a style some let the big dogs eat them up hey. 11.35 p.m. On January 21st I fell asleep sound at exactly 11.35 p.m. On January
4: 21st Some shit went down Now Benny was a New York City Grap kingpin My world fame Guaranteed the itch pigskin Raided near the Brooklyn Naval Yard Took another cover When they asked him what he pled He said you're fucking on my
2: cover Okay Jose's working in a slaughterhouse Said he's living in the hood But he wants to get his daughter out Slipped off a ledge And fell into a machine Another dead immigrant left the American dream Miss Molly helped
4: us Made a penny with a data entry 10 gig Overqualified but the rent. Red brick bass with a tennis all right, everybody. we are back live on p s n radio. This is inside the jackal's head, and I am joined by my co-host of the evening, Mr Jamie haviken, of course of inception radio. say hi, Jamie.
3: Hello everybody
4: and if you guys want to call on in the number is seven eight six two four five eight one two seven west of the Rockies actually no that'd be east of the Rockies. there you go. that's just a little fun at uh Art Bell's expense. Yes. Art Bell. Good guy. Check out his radio show, Dark Matter Radio. But you know, right now we're joined by Mr. James Swagger of Capricorn Radio. How are you doing, my friend? Welcome to Inside the Jackal's Head.
5: Well, thank you, and uh, thanks for introducing Capricorn Radio. You're the first one to ever do that. Mm -hmm. I'm usually introduced as the author. but You are the author as well. Uh, Tell us a
4: little bit about your books. I want to introduce you as the host because people are going to be hearing your voice here on PSN Radio on a weekly basis. You've already uh, done a couple of shows on the network, and I'm pretty sure people are going to be like, wait a second, we hear this guy on PSN, Jackal, what are you trying to sell here? So, tell us about the book, man. Tell us about, about your work as an author.
5: Sure, yeah, just for the, yeah, I just on the Capricorn Radio, I've just recently joined PSN, thanks to yourself, Jackal, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, it's great to be part of the network, so I've just done two shows, uh, but uh, yeah, it's a weekly thing, uh, twice a week, I should say, and uh mm-hmm. Great to be aboard, but I'm more well known as an author, as you quite rightly say, and uh, I kind of got into podcasting because I knew some other authors, and I just said, well, I might as well start talking to these guys and do a show about it. (laughs) And really, I started the core body of the show with the books and the authors that I was researching and that I was friends with. And I mean, most of what my background is, I'm an author researcher of megalithic sites, Uh, ancient history um, and anywhere in between I like anything from the Romans and beyond really because that's Mm. the stuff that there's no trouble with because everything after the Romans people get politically motivated about and there's like religious and all sorts of uh, connotations with it but you know some from the Romans and beyond is what I like and mostly the history of engineering the history of science uh, the history of like you know all the weird and wonderful stuff, like, you know, the anomalies, the mysteries, like that we tried to solve. And of course, the megalithic empires of Western Europe, everybody knows Stonehenge, but equally we have Newgrange in Ireland, which is what I wrote the book about, and, uh, and other places. But basically, the megalithic civilization of Western Europe is where I kind of carved my niche, uh, Jackal. Now, I should say like you know I never envisioned myself being in, uh, an author in any real sense I, I, I wanted to when I was in my early 20s and I got a little bit of a break doing um, got a little bit of a break doing uh, some articles for Historical Mysteries magazine and that was great and that wet the appetite and that really kind of you know I, I sunk my teeth in and I, and, I, and I had a bit of fun doing it but it was a short lived process and then when it stopped I, I, I was kind of a bit dis, dismayed and I thought then maybe I would uh, compile these articles that I wrote into a little Encyclopedia of Mysteries book. And uh, that's still half finished, that book. But the thing is, when I got to write the chapter on the, ha- uh, on the megalithic civilization, I got halfway through. I got drawn into this mystery of the megaliths again, because the first time I got drawn in when I was younger. And, and the thing is, I never, ever thought we could figure anything out about these megalithic uh, civilization. Yeah, there was a lot of theories. There was a lot of guesswork. There was a lot of hypositions and um you know we were always told in school nothing to see here go home it's just some stones these guys right. lift, lifted some big stones that's it we can't know anything else um there's no point in researching it in any detail you'd be foolish for doing it basically and that's that's really what we were taught like growing up uh, jackal now the, the, the thing is more that- here
4: more here in america believe it or not than where you grew oh, up
5: wow well, yeah, I think it's a universal thing, and it, and I think it's because archaeology has a stranglehold. Now, I don't mean yeah. to speak disparagingly of archaeologists. I do now and again, but only certain archaeologists. <laughs> I mean, I don't need to uh, brand everybody with the same uh, ideology, like, because I think there is some very good archaeologists out there, and there's mm-hmm. some, but there's, a lot of them aren't open-minded. They only have the blinkers on for archaeology. But archaeology is the growing science now. It's, it's, it's a multidiscipline science now, because it's now having to absorb other fields whether it likes it or not and people aren't waiting around because you have archaeoastronomy and archaeoacoustics and that's what I get into in both my first two books The the New Grain Serious Mystery and The Megalith Acoustics Mystery because I realised there there was sorry Jackal I realised there was two scientific tools that I could use that was the science of astronomy and the science of acoustics to peer into these ancient monuments there's a very very good reason Jackal 1500 BC Uh, Everything before 1500 BC, I think there's like 90% of the monuments before uh, 1500 BC have an astronomical alignment. Right.
4: That's that's what I was going to ask about the serious mystery of it's all connected astrologically. Is that where you're taking off from?
5: Sure, Jackal. Sure. I mean, the astronomy is basically, you know, the key thing here. Like, I mean, there's a reason. I, there's a reason we can apply astronomy to these ancient monuments. Like, because these guys were obsessed with astronomy. You would be led to believe by archaeology that these things are just passage graves. There's some right. burial. There's a burial function there. Go home. They just built a nice fancy tomb for their for their dead. Like, and and it's just not that case. Right. It, these things are astronomical observatories. Now, when we're talking about passage tombs in Ireland, Newgrange being one of the most famous ones. Equally, you have Gavrinis, another famous one in uh, Brittany and France. Um, you got May's Howe, another famous one in Scotland. Um, and these all take in solst- uh, solstices and, and uh, beams of sunlight into the inner chambers and have this astronomical feat. Of a of a display of engineering and and uh, and wonder, like you know, and you know, so th- there are fascinating monuments, and just e- even in terms of our modern day perspective, just going in to witness the phenomena, you know. But it's much more than that, and uh, that's what we're going to get into. But I mean, I should say, like you know, my my career and background is engineering, basically, mostly engineering, heavy industrial engineering, I should say, and I, I worked most of my life as a systems analyst. And the key thing is, like, I worked on some pretty big jobs, like, but they were very, very complex and very, very um, industrial, uh, sophisticated. And my job was to basically look for problems, look for anomalies, look for where the link in the chain was going to break, try and weed that link in the chain out before it happened. So I would study some very, uh, and I would do electromechanical systems, computerized systems, you know, power stations right down to wind farms, water treatments, um, you know, all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff. And and I did, and you know, and I love that job and I, I got what I wanted out of it. And I wanted to make a career break and I did a physics with astronomy degree. And this is all pertinent. The reason I'm telling you this is all pertinent. And... uh you know, I I qualified myself and I did a lot of the big jobs and I, and I kind of burnt myself out. I mean, I worked a long hours. I, I worked for half my early 20s away, like, you know, and, and but I travelled around all the megalithic regions, Jackal. And the key thing is, I found myself one day, you know, looking at these uh, megalithic monuments uh, with my systems analyst approach, basically. You know, I had looked at them all through my early 20s, but I I learned a skill set being away from Ireland for 12 years, like. And, uh, I'd seen other megalithic regions, and I, and I was very, very privileged. So when I took my systems analyst approach, I found myself unveiling stuff, Jackal. You know, and this is the key thing about my book. This is why it's different. Like,
4: well, let me ask you: Have you done any uh, research in behind, like, for example, here in Florida, we have the Coral Castle, uh, which I have no idea, nobody knows how it was built, or you know, we know who did it, and but and it's a big mystery on how it was done. And that wasn't that long ago. Have you done any research at all in the Coral Castle?
5: I actually have, yeah. I know uh, an author called Chris Dunn. I don't know if you know Chris Dunn, but uh, um, I've had Chris Dunn on the show a couple of times, and he's done a couple of books on ancient Egypt, and he's mad to do a book on Coral Castle, and I've been collaborating with him, not for any purpose of writing a book. I'm just like from the two, three times I've had him on the show, I've been discussing Coral Castle with him, and um, you know, I, I think it's a fascinating place, and I think it holds the key... To some ancient technology and I and I really do believe Leeds Gallon, the guy who built Coral Castle, mm-hmm. had the had the answer. I really do believe. Yes. I mean the guy the guy was like what was he? I don't know what you guys use pounds like, instead of stone. We we use stone for weight or kilos, but uh right. he, was, he was a little guy. He was a yes. tough little guy. He couldn't have even lifted them stones with leverage or nothing, you know. He like he had them balanced and you know, he had stones perfectly balanced off centre, like so that they could right. A doorway, and then he moved them all as well. There's the story of how he moved them and, and relocated them. And there's a wonderful book called "Waiting for Agnes." And if you ever want to research Coral Castle, uh, use that book because it gives you a bit behind the guy. You know, he built this Coral Castle for a woman called Agnes who never came. You know, he. Right. Uh, it was a love story as well as a megalithic scientific mystery wonder. Like, you know, it's got everything in it. Like, but you no, James, know-
4: you know, it's crazy. That's one of those stories that always makes me realize that human beings can, can be very, very creative in, in doing whatever there is. And this guy discovered something that goes, I think, all the way back to when the pyramids were created. Cause I, I, you know, I'm not sold on aliens coming down and building the pyramids for us. No, I think we created pyramids. Mankind, I think, did it. But there is some technology there that they used that we just that has escaped us
5: sure you know and the thing is uh yeah i mean Carl, he he always professed to have known how the ancient egyptians built the pyramid, right you know yeah. and he he just threw that out there like you know but i i do wonder why he never let it out why he kept the knowledge to himself like, maybe he just didn't expect to die he did die relatively young like so maybe he was going to pass it on one day but you know, I think he had, you talk about this little black box that he had, uh, Jackal, where, you know, he was transmitting uh, frequency. And I think he had some Tesla technology on the go. Um, I think if you really want to get into the science of what it was, I think he had nonlinear fractal resonance. That's the actual, that's, it's, it's above most people's head, even sophisticated mathematicians and physicists like, you know, that's, that's basically the key. That's what, there's a reason for for why I say that, but I mean, I looked at the acoustics and the ancient Egyptians were using acoustics and frequencies. You can have acoustic levitation in the laboratory now. I think there's, mm-hmm. a, there's, there's I mean, I looked into this for the acoustics mystery, and uh, I do think the ancient Egyptians had a way for lifting or manoeuvring stones of certain content. It wasn't every stone. I think they were able to manoeuvre certain stones that had a crystallised content because the crystallised content in the stone was the reason they chose stone. There was pink granites. There was certain diorites and all. You know, they they worked stones with certain qualities, with certain crystals, and they would react to non-linear fractal resonance. But again, the coral the coral stones that he used were of a certain density and certain type as well. You know, they talk about him having this little black box on a tripod. He could have been levitating the stones for all we know, Jackal. You know, and I'm more, most likely, yeah. And what I'm saying is, you know, like, I'm more open to that and aliens coming down and just giving man the helping hand kind and that makes it all easy again, you know, but <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm open to ETs, I'm like, I'm not like uh, shutting my eyes to that either like, but I just think that Leeds Gallon had some sort of a technology figured out, Jacob. Yeah, I'm
4: 100% with you. I think that he just uh, tapped into something that, uh, you know, most of us, uh, it's just above our heads, but it's like everything. Look, uh, you know, he, that was what his brain gave him to do. You know, everybody is here for a reason, and that's was his reason to be here, to create that Coral Castle and, and do something that leaves that lasting memory. But he really, I mean, to, to to tap into that kind of technology, he got it from somewhere. I mean, he just didn't find it out and pull it out of the ether. Uh, I'm sure there's ways to go back and research some of the stuff that he researched and uh, maybe find out exactly if it was acoustic levitation which that makes a lot of sense I've seen some of the research you're, ta- you're talking about on acoustic levitation in labs and it does work, I mean there's scientific proof that there is a way to do it So,
5: Well I think it might be also reverse magnetism because that's what he alludes to Like, so I'm open right. to a mix of the two or, uh, there's, some, there's something strange that we obviously don't, there's some form of, of leverage or, or momentum that he was using to to get yeah. those sounds into place and you know whether there was a I don't understand the mechanism for reverse magnetism I don't know what that could be I don't know if you could just emit a frequency um, but there was all strange devices in his workshop you know it was te- it was technology that he had to do it like you know um, but yeah what a weird fascinating story and on your own homeland guys in America America is <laughs> I've never seen America. America being so full of mystery at the moment. You see, America history on Earth, I had Scott Walter on, and you know, there's so many mysteries, up, especially on, on your side of the uh, East Coast, America. lot. you know, your guys are riddled with it there, from Miami, with Coral Castle, right up to Maine and uh, up to top Lock.
4: Oh, definitely. Yeah, no, ancient America is a lot stranger than they led us to believe, believe it or not. There's, there's definitely a history in this country that you know we, everyday Americans don't are not even aware of. I, I am positive about that. Uh, it, it, it goes way beyond Native Americans, I think, even way before that. I'm talking about hundreds and hundreds of years before America was even here. Oh, there's yeah. A, there's a rich history in, in this land. Uh, it, it's it's slowly, and I think over time, James, do you think we're eventually, you know, there's a lot of uh, talk about disclosure in the UFO community, but do you think there'll be a disclosure on the exact history and the knowledge that we have of the history in this country in America?
5: Wow, that's a beautiful insight right there, Jackal. You know, I think we should do because somebody asked me a question the other day, Jackal, and they went, I was talking about the Giants going missing from the mounds in mm. East Coast America, in Ohio Valley and that, and the famous Smithsonian Institute, uh, it keeps losing so many valuable artifacts. Like, I would have that institution dismantled just on negligence alone, if that was me. But right. it's not negligence. The stuff's getting disappeared because it doesn't fit with the paradigm. I don't think they want it to fit with the paradigm. And then I had somebody ask me a very valid question. Why would they do that? You know, is this a conspiracy? Like, And I went, it's much more than that. I think we need a disclosure on it because... I mean, I I think they would. I think the powers that be would do that more so, Jackal, than they would UFOs, because if they if if they if they can harbor the true facts of ancient history, then you don't know who you are, you don't know where you're going, you don't Correct. know right, you know, and that's more that's more important than anything, like you know, I James. Was that
4: what's that saying? If you don't learn from the past, you're condemned to repeat it. And if uh, there was a, civiliz- a civilization that we could uh, figure out what happened to them, if they lived thousands of years ago and they blew themselves away or something they you know there's a reason to go back and uh, do some of this work like for example jamie just brings up here in skype chat uh the miami circle which again here in miami the miami circle uh you know that's a discovery that uh, happened not long ago also uh that's an incredible discovery in itself and that tells you that there definitely is something uh to the ancient past here in our own land in america
3: many don't even know about the miami circle and yeah. uh, There's a lot of strange things I think I showed you that I found here in Florida just on Google Earth looking over the state. Strange structures in the middle of nowhere, like 40 miles away in the middle of nowhere, but they're symmetrical, look like something, so...
5: Wow. I'm doing a tour next uh, March in the Ohio Valley of the uh, Burial Mound, Serpent Mound and all that. And I'm definitely going to be doing a a personal uh, trip from Miami straight up to uh, Maine, as many of the stuff on the East Coast as I can. It's just like, I'm I'm not going to get a chance to be over there. And when I am, I'm like, you know, I'm going to make the most of it. But uh, yeah, Miami Circle, somebody had sent me a link for that uh, as well. And I'd looked into that. And, you know, I think I really do believe at this stage now that, uh, I have an offer to, sorry, I should say, I have an offer to go to Dennis Stone on the American Stonehenge uh, that was on America on Earth. I'm going to get him on the show, uh, Not Too Distant Future. Uh, cool. And there's the American Newgrange that as they call it, as well, up in Maine, up that way. And, you know, all these chambers, and one of them goes to 2000 B.C., and there's, there's mounds going to, like, 3000 B.C. And I really do think, um, from my research, and, and when I looked at Newgrange, Serious Mystery, I I thought, like, you know, naively I would just apply some astronomy and figure out these monuments. And, of course, the biggest question was, anybody's going to want to know who was these builders like? Who was these megalithic guys? And the answer is much more uh, mysterious and beautiful than I ever thought. And I really do feel now at this stage that there was an ancient seafaring nation of race, of people, if you want to call it that, circumnavigating the globe. Um and I think you know Ireland and America were two hotspots I think they were in the Atlantic somewhere I mean I alluded to this at the end of the book the who were the builders like but uh, this, I mean I do think that there was a sunken landmass there I'm pretty I don't think this was the only sunken landmass I don't think it's the only one location but I well, think Well they
4: found several they found in Japan they found uh sunken cities
5: Yanaguni
4: yeah yeah I mean they're, uh, they're, they found several even in Cuba my land, by the way, uh, out, the, out the shores of Cuba, they've uh, they've gone pretty deep, and there there's uh, stuff down there, uh, pyramids and all kinds of things down there, uh, which that tells you that this world that we're living in has probably gone through several cycles of uh, life forms living on the surface that had somehow ended up buried deep within the earth. Uh, which makes perfect sense that the continents are constantly moving, that you know, land does form and transform and change over time, especially if a planet's been here for 4-point-whatever-billion years that it's been here. Uh, there might be a lot of transformation in a billion years. What do you say, James?
5: <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. Oh, just on a on, on, on the Atlantic, uh, I did a show on the uh, Azores Pyramid there. Have you seen the pyramid that was on Earth?
4: Yeah, no, there's been a few pyramids on Earth. That's yeah, not the well, only uh, one.
5: Yeah, it's not the only one, but there, there, there was one recently uh, that looks very much like a step pyramid. It looks like the pyramid yeah. of Kukulkan. The Balkan uh, pyramid, no? No, I mean, sorry, Jamie. Uh, yeah, no, there's this pyramid found off the coast of the Azores by a guy oh, doing... yeah, okay, okay gotcha. Uh, he was doing uh, sonar testing, um, and, he, and he has a sonar image of it. But it basically is this, the base of a pyramid with the steps going up to a flat platform, much like you would look at the Kukulkan pyramid in the Yucatan Peninsula, El Castillo it's called. And, uh, you know, it just looks exactly like that from the air. Only the, the only difference is it's underneath the water. Now, the Azores Plateau is basically a raised elevated plateau, and that was above water in our not-too-distant past. Um, so, you know here we have again another pyramid in the Atlantic. There was one off in, in Bermuda as well. But the key thing about the one off the Azores islands is that, uh, it's got a square base of eight square kilometers. Like it's a monster. Like it's an absolute monster. Like, you know, and you know, I'm, I'm a proponent for this sunken landmass and, uh, I I allude to the end of my book The New Ground Series Mystery I wanted to narrow down and, and, and I don't like to go into mythology too much not when I was writing the astronomy book I have done a bit more on the second book my Megalith Acoustics book but I mean geologically you have a sandbank you have a sandbank off the coast of Ireland called Porcupine Bank it's on the Rockwall Trench it's another raised elevation plateau it runs around the west coast of Ireland from Galway to down to the bottom of Cork but uh in around Porcupine Bank, it's an, it's a raised bank on this trench, and it's called Porcupine Bank because it looks like a porcupine's back. Basically, that's, <laughs> it's not a very illustrious name. But here's the thing: there's ancient maps showing this mythical island called High Brazil, H Y space B R A S I L. High Brazil, uh, and High Brazil was known as the other Atlantis, basically. You know, it's this other, the other Atlantis is this nickname. And High Brazil has been on ancient maps, several ancient maps, going back to the Middle Ages, back into antiquity. Wow. And not only that, it's actually shown as two islands split in two. And it's an island, uh, two islands the size of Greater London, like maybe 20 miles in diameter. Um, Now, the thing is, it's located exactly yeah. in the same location as the Porcupine Bank Sandbank, which like, basically means that High Brazil was there when sea levels were lower. But not only that, the ancient Celts, they, wrote, they, they inherited the Megalithic Monuments of Ireland. There was a crossover of about 500 years because the Megalithic builders were in existence from 5000 BC to 1000 BC is when they died out and disappeared but then the Celts came in about 1500 BC. So, and that's really when they started to appear. I mean, they didn't really come into existence properly until about 1000 BC. So they were just at the tail end of the megalithic builders. So a lot of what we know, or anything of the ancient sites, the megalithic sites of Ireland, I mean, there's a lot of mythology from Celts like, and they talk about the, the builders called the Danann. That's, that's who they attribute uh, these builders of the megalithic monuments, as the Tuatha de Danann, which is Gaelic, basically for other race of people, or the people mm. of people that sometimes were translated as the people of the goddess of Danu, another the the tribe of Danu or the people belonging to Danu, the tribe the, of
4: the tribe of Dan,
5: yeah. Now the thing is. I mean they were literally denominated as another race. They were another people, another race right. and they were an occupying force to, to Nan. And they came from the western seas. That's where they said they came from. They said they came from this mythical land that appeared from the sea and disappeared into the mist. Now you have to understand Scotland, Ireland, we have this strange mist in the sea and it's it's picturesque, it's beautiful, it's tranquil, it's uh, dreamy, romantic, you know, but if you can picture an island just off the coast in the mist, it would basically appear and disappear, like, you know, it would just uh, appear and disappear, and this is really old Celtic tales, but, I mean, you know, in the western seas, we don't have that anymore, because porcupine banks underneath the water, and I really do believe, like, that's our best candidate. You now, it's, the thing, the beauty is that it's not just there, I mean, we have this, uh, the Azores Plateau, there's other structures there underneath the water, and I think, you know, rising sea levels, Push these guys off the islands and the other sunken monuments. And they, and they had to just start, start up again. I mean, they scrambled for land. And the two most natural landing bays, when you hit Western Europe, if you're coming from a sunken landmass in the Atlantic, you have to reverse engineer these guys and look backwards. Like, I mean, the first two most natural landing bays you're going to hit is Sligo Bay and the Gulf of Moribane and Brittany. And that's the two biggest concentrations of megalithic monuments. You know, Sligo Bay has got 5,000 archaeological sites in around Sligo City and and, and, and beyond. And uh, same as uh, with the Gulf of Moravand, all the stone rows of alignments, the big giant megaliths like of uh, Brittany are all in around the one region, pretty much like, you know. And it looks like they hit this western coast of uh, Europe and they just set up camp again. They tried to, and and it looks as well, there's two waves as well, because you see two waves of monuments there's monuments dated in ireland to 5000 bc and the other ones in between 3500 and 3000 bc so there's a 1500 year gap there jacob and jamie i mean this 1500 year gap's not explained there's clearly two waves of building same style same structure not so much art in the 5000 bc but in the 3200 bc we see art appearing as well but i mean there's an ancient megalithic cemetery in Sligo called Carrowmore. I don't go into that in the book, but there's a reason for that because there's no art. that's pretty much decimated. But, I mean, it's a 5,000 BC monument, you know, a uh, megalithic complex. There's maybe 100 tombs or so there, all various states of decay. But well, equally in Brittany, we have a 4,800-year BC date on some of these monuments. So that's deep antiquity now. That's pretty, yeah. you know. But then we also have this popular uh, date of 3000 BC for the most of the monuments. But there is an early date there, and that's the key thing. And they're both popping up in these two natural landing bays. And like, it doesn't take a genius to figure out, like, you know that. These guys all hugged the coastline. These guys were seafarers. You have right. to understand that. I mean, they they only stuck to Western uh, Europe, basically, or, or Southern Europe, but all along the coastline. It was all coastal stuff to them. These guys came by boat. We know they came by boat because... They basically have monuments in Scotland and monuments in Ireland and monuments in Western Europe. And it's the same style, the same art, the same solstices, the same internal features, the same, you know, logistics. You know, it's like the same, the people. same designers, same designers. Yeah, the same people yeah. all this like. So we know it was the same common hand of influence. The question is, did they have rudimentary contact to and from each other or did they all come from the common source? And then hit the lands that have no contact. It, either way, you know, they, they did it by boat. But I like to think that they came from a common source and that these guys were you know, refugees. Like They were fleeing. They were refugees because of the rising sea levels. Refugee by boat theory, I call it. But, uh,
4: that makes sense. And that also, I think, will attribute to all the uh, history of uh, having a great flood on this planet, which would just really be the rising sea level and some society losing uh, their land.
5: Oh yeah, the rising the rising sea levels and the flood. I mean, the flood myths are all around the world. You know, they're yeah. all around the world, and uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't get explained why they're in so many places. And I think you know, I think I, you look you look at like anomalies like uh, the Yalmech heads in, in in Central America, by the way, and and you know, you've got these uh, strange um, like negroid features that aren't mm-hmm. true. Attrib- they're are like a black civilization that did this. Um, and I think you know we have this lost tribe like that went around, you know, Western Europe, South America, and I think they all came from, you know, sunken places in the Atlantic. Like I think if you if you think the center of the Atlantic, if you went in all directions you pretty much would get into the Mediterranean Basin, you would get to Western Europe, you would get to America, North America, you would get to South America, and you would go around to this, this, uh, maybe even to Australia as well. But I think seafaring uh, was the key, and I think there was a, a lost black African race type uh, of people. Like you know, They talk about this black uh, tribe also, and the Hyperboreans were a black tribe, and that they took this hallucinogenic drink, um, and that they maybe had a temple in the north the Hyperbrians had this temple in the north which I attribute to Calanish stone temple for three specific reasons there's a, there's three pieces of evidence we have that um, there's three pieces of evidence we have that the island that Calanish stands on at the uh, Hebridean island of Lewis is basically the same size as uh, Sicily and they say that the island was the same size as Sicily and they also say that it was uh, a lunar alignment every 19 years to the monument and that the monument had a setting of the Pleiades uh, due east on a solstice. Now, the thing is, those three pieces of evidence can only fit that one island and it can only fit that monument at that latitude. There is nothing else at that latitude. There is no other monument or, te- or temple at that latitude that fits that criteria. So thereby, elimination, the process of elimination alone uh, elementary my dear Watson like type thing it's like you know <laughs> it can only be that temple so they're right there in that key piece of evidence by doing some research you can say that the Hyperboreans had a temple in the north that it was most likely you know with acceptance it was Stone temple but they were known to be a black race as well I also attribute the Dogon tribe in my book and links with the Dogon culture who are still surviving today and one of the great pieces of research and evidence uh by Marcel Griol and Germaine Dieterlin, you know, if it wasn't for these guys going living with the tribe for a long period of time, um, great book, Conversations with Ogo Tamelli is, is a wonderful book. For anybody researching the Dogon, if you can get a copy of it, it's pretty hard to get your hands on. Um, but uh, I, I uncovered some links with Dogon uh, beliefs and Dogon ideology and symbology, and I, I just basically go into that a little bit in the New Grain Serious Mystery, but it's there and it's not going away I mean, you have the same glyphs used in the megalithic art. Now, th- I will distinguish this. It's not Celtic art. People always think this is Celtic. They mix up the Celts and the megalithic builders. Right. Like the, like they're the same people. They will make that distinction. And that's okay. I understand. That's not to put people down. There's a reason for that. They call it Celtic jewelry. You know, when you come to Ireland and, and, and people just go, oh, Celtic jewelry, and they see all the spirals and all, it's not Celtic, it's megalithic art that they call Celtic jewelry. Like, you know, they market it. And like, even ourselves, we do this, like, you know, so it's confusing, but it's megalithic art. And the megalithic art, you have like a triple water wave glyph, which is synonymous with the Dogon and synonymous with the ancient Egypt. You have the spiral, which is synonymous with the megalithic empire. Not just Ireland, but to uh, typically Newgrange, the, the entrance stone, and it's typical with uh, many ancient cultures around the world, even America. Like you, also have concentric circles. You have like what looks like a leaf with the veins of the leaf. You have um, uh, the sun wheel as well, um, which I want to get into today and tie it in with the Halloween uh, element. But this this sun wheel is basically an eight segmented wheel. It's a circle with uh, eight segments on it. Basically, you put like eight, eight pieces of a pie. You know, it's like that's what the solar wheel looks like: north, south, east, west, northeast, right. northwest, southeast, right, southwest right. You know, and at, at our latitude, that's where our sun sets. Like the sun sets in summertime, summer solstice, northeast right. and northwest, and pr- pretty much. And in the summer, t- in the winter time, it's, it rises in the southeast and sets in the southwest and um, of course uh, spring and autumn equinox rises in the east and sets in the west so that's the eight points of the year and but they had this uh what we call a solar wheel i call them dogon sun wheels in the book but the dogon have this sim- symbol as well and it's not just in ireland this uh this sun wheel this sun is going back to 3500 bc at least that we know of at least you know a question
4: though, about the dogon that you, you did say they're believed to be of egyptian descent now uh, were they fleeing because of religious persecution at one point? That's uh, and the astronomical lore goes back I know thirty, at least thirty five hundred years. You said, but no, were they being prosecuted at one point for their astronomical lore?
5: No, actually, it was a bit more uh, romantic than that. I think they, the, the Dogon tribe, they are persecuted nowadays. But no, when they left Egypt, they believed that they left Egypt to send a backup copy of their civilization out into the remote uh as a nomadic tribe because they knew there was a there was a black race of pharaohs that ruled it away okay and and dogon obviously a black race of people and they i mean you if you were look at the works of laird scranton you will pretty much have to accept that the dogon are at least you don't have to agree with the concepts and ideology in the book but you will have to accept that the dogon marched out of ancient egypt now when they left egypt they went up to the north Around to the west coast of uh, north and west uh, coast of Africa by migrating the top of the coastline of the top of Africa, eventually coming and residing in Western Mali where they are today. Now that's a long migratory route, but the key thing is that you know they're linked with like they've got weird uh, Judeo-Christian uh, rites and you know they're like you know they they circumcise and they've got like strange. Uh, links with ancient egypt, I mean they use the same ideology and symbology that I was just talking about this sun this sun wheel, but it 's used to represent the same key thing uh Jackal or jamie this is this is the key thing it's, it 's the heliacal rising of a star or a constellation basically is an astronomical concept where basically the star, I will get back to the question, but the star rising <laughs> star rising on the horizon on a certain day, pick the star Sirius for example, this was one of the biggest ones that the ancient Egyptians used. Now they have a star rising on an equinox and then the sun comes up right behind it and drowns it out very, very quickly. Now that's called a heliacal rising, helios being the sun and the rising of the star. So the sun rises just drowns out that star that just came up as well. So that's right. a heliacal rising. Now when a heliacal rising happened on a certain day of the year that was like the the rain dance time that was like the biggest thing ever like you know these guys went ballistic for this like you know they loved it but the key thing is that these uh, heliacal risings is what uni- uniquely identifies the dogon and the egyptians and the megalithic builders as well because it looks when you look at the astronomy of the megalithic builders they were obsessed with heliacal risings as well and I show that in my book and I show the cosmology of the megalithic builders is no different to the Dogon now I'm not saying the Dogon their ancestors built Newgrange I'm not saying that I'm saying there's definitely a common hand of influence there where the same teachers are hands you know that the Twat maybe they came in and taught the people but the key thing is the Dogon, you have to accept that they marched out of ancient Egypt. They're already lo- located in the region due to the Judeo-Christian uh, beliefs that they have and the circumcision and the genetic rights they have for breeding. And It's an incredibly complex civilization. But what they did was they were in a panic and and they had to leave ancient Egypt because they knew Egypt would eventually fall at one point. They envisaged their own civilization falling. So... They took the same core concepts, and they had an oral culture for the Dogon, and they had a written culture for ancient Egypt. Now, the written culture was a hieroglyphic system using symbolic thought and ideology and symbology through hieroglyphs system, and eventually it still is a written system, although it's more appealing to the right brain to... Um, you know, to the simultaneous thought as opposed to the linear logic of the left brain. I mean, it's, there was a reason that lasted so long. I mean, written culture is just, you know, you know we lose context. Like, I mean, you lose, you, lose, uh, you lose vision, you lose context by writing things down in words, like, and that mm-hmm. – That's why these guys lasted so long, they were conscious beings, but eventually their consciousness fell, their their evolved consciousness, their spirituality, they fell from grace, basically, and the Dogon knew that, and that's why they sent the backup copy. Because the oral history, you have to understand the oral history of the Dogon, they tell this in their oral history, by the way, um, that they they were going to fall from grace, and and they are there to preserve their own culture. That's why they live like nomads. There's a reason they just live growing onions and collecting pigeon dung, they don't want to be corrupted by an outside civilization. They believe it is their sole right to preserve this knowledge for humanity. That, like, this is the... And, and it's I'm absolutely stunned that this civilization can go back this far and still survive today. They say the ancient uh, Chinese are the only ones to be in existence since 2000 BC, like and that's true in a way, but they're constantly evolving. But right, right, yeah, right. They're constantly evolving, but Dogon have protected themselves from outside influence, but they've also protected their oral history. The key thing is, uh, Jamie, just just to wrap up, this is why they they marched out of ancient Egypt, and this is why it wasn't from persecution, it was to protect the knowledge that they had, because these black pharaohs were being oppressed and taken over by other tribes in Egypt, and eventually the black pharaohs disappeared. uh, And... uh, and this isn't a race thing, by the way. They, 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 the black girls weren't like warmongers. They just absorbed by another right. culture.
4: Well, there's, and, e- there's even talk that Cleopatra was uh, black.
5: Yeah, mm. I mean. So. And and there's there's multi- multitude of colors there, by the yes. way.
4: Cle- Cleopatra did not look like Elizabeth Taylor. Everybody, I'm just yeah. saying.
5: Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know, I know, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's a multitude of races and colors there, if you want to call it that. Now the thing is the the Dogon, when they set up the backup copy, the oral history, you have to understand that the oral history is not just me telling my descendant or my son, or I, I call my son and you're going to be the storyteller and you're going to tell the next descendant. Everybody else in the family, you can be a farmer, you can be an astronomer, you can be whatever, but you're the storyteller and you carry the story. It's not just telling a story and then he tells it to somebody else because that story can get corrupted. That story can be a story and can get changed. Oral history, basically, is a story that cannot be changed over time. And right. the oral history, they, they, they criticize oral history, but the people don't really understand it. They haven't studied it in detail. They're guessing what they think oral history is, and they say it's fluid. You know, the critics of it say that it's too fluid and it can change over time, and it's not true. Because there's so many checkpoints in the story that they tell that the story will not make sense at the end. If if you if you corrupt the story, if you change the, any details in the story over time, it would not make sense at the end. So it's like you have these checkpoints reenacting the story all through the story, you know. And it's only when you get into the depth, it's a very complex oral history. It's so complex and so detailed. You got
4: you gotta admit that when it's an oral history, there is a chance for corruption from the people telling the story themselves. They could kind of tell it how they would want, you know. They could always influence it and pass it down to the generation as you know think, whatever the story is
5: sure i think what you mean is there, there could be a will of the person to change the story correct yeah, yeah. correct i identi- yes identify with that totally it's just the- it's just
4: like a, like in the bible for example i mean we've had the bible retranslated how many times now and every time it's retranslated things change you know because somebody is translating it in their way and they're they're giving it the way they want to write it uh, and of course, the Bible is written by man, but that's neither here nor there. But an oral trans- oral story is the same. I would say, I would think it's the same thing. I mean, it's being handed down from generation to generation.
5: Let me let me just identify the difference between the Dogon oral history and other oral history. The Dogon oral history is is sophisticated. It's the most sophisticated oral history there is, and it's got so many checkpoints in the story, uh, Jackal, that you know it's extremely difficult to do that. Even if you wanted to do that. You would have to redesign the whole story to make one piece of evidence change, basically. That's why wow. the story set up. Yeah, it's not, it's not like you think. Now, there is other oral histories out there where it's basically just somebody telling a story. Uh, I need to identify the difference with the doggone history. It's incredibly complex and incredibly hard to get into. I mean, I study complexity for a living, like, and I found it difficult to understand. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they are basically a system. Their oral history is a system of knowledge and evidence you know and it can all be corroborated as well so for all the criticisms of the dogon it's very hard to criticize unless you know what their oral history is and you, and you've read their oral history like you know but there is several books on it and you've got to understand that germain Dieterlin and marcel griall you know these guys lived with them for 40 15 years like you know and, wow. and wrote several works these these guys, these guys by the way these were titans in their day. These were no; these were just nobodies in anthropology. These were some of the best anthropologists on the planet of the day, like in the 1930s. These guys were like titans, not to be for, a force, not to be reckoned with. Like you know, these guys were like, you know, and even they didn't understand. This is the beauty. Even they didn't understand what they were being told. So they documented it. They did what they did as scientists and anthropologists. They just documented it really well. They went, "What does this mean?" And, and Tomelli, the Dogon elder basically said, don't mind what it means yet, just document it. Like, you know, if you're here to document, and that's what they did. It's probably good that they didn't understand it because, you know... They could
4: influence it themselves. Yeah, they, they, you, There's no way to self-influence it.
5: They could have been the one who changed the story. Exactly. Right. So what they did was they documented the whole thing and, and it's only when you go into it and you can see the oral history plays out and reenacts itself. And it's, and it's not fluid like people make it out to be. That's a criticism that's not founded in anything. like that. Now,
4: the current dog in population is, what, between about 400,000 800,000 around there recently? Or it's, currently? I,
5: I don't even know where they get those figures from. Yeah, I mean, they say it could be as low as 200,000. But, yeah, it's, it's less than a million anyway. It's less than a million, Jacko. But, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, where do they get these numbers from? I don't know. But, I mean, they have groups of families, jackal um and they have groups of family and they 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 know which family can breed with which family uh they have an incredibly complex breeding program for each group of families and basically if you look at your hands jackal uh okay i'm looking yeah look at your little finger you see the way there's two lines on your little finger separating your finger into three segments i see that okay well you have that on every finger yeah correct Okay, so picture each one of those segments as a, as a number. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And basically, they divide their hand up into complex numerology. And they say this pattern, this part of this finger mates with this family. So they attribute a family or a group name of a family. There's 64 patterns in your hand there. And it's the same as they have in ancient China as well, by the way. There's links between this numer- numerology genetic breeding pattern. Everything these guys do are complex other than how they live, Jackal. This, this is like – you can understand why I, 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 this, is like a, this is like a beacon for me for research. But, I mean, I never envisaged that I would find a dogon link to this uh, – to the Newgrange thing. But the, the link is there. That's the key thing, Jackal. I mean, the link is there. They're incredibly complex. Everything they do is – their astronomy is complex. They're – their philosophy is complex, their breeding program is complex and their history is complex. You know, it's like they, but they don't live like complex people. They don't ha, they don't care for they don't care for uh, you know iPads, cell phones, smartphones, what? computers. <laughs> the material civilization doesn't bother them. They they Right. They they're keepers of knowledge. These are wisdom keepers like, you know.
4: Um, almost like Buddhist monks but a little bit uh, more nt yeah. technology than anything else but they're very monk-like right almost like buddhist monks
5: exactly exactly you know and and the thing is like i mean this dogon sun wheel it's a, it's a no-brainer for me especially when you see this sun wheel it's it's used in ancient egypt and it's used in the dogon it's used in megalithic ireland all to represent the same thing imagine me drawing a glyph for you and it's a glyph of a car with like a little logo on the side, J for jackal or something like that, yeah? It's a unique glyph. It's a car right. with J on the side of it. Now, if I said that that showed that all around the world and then somebody else was using a, a glyph with a, with a J on the, on the car, you know, they'd go, okay, that's, that's, that's a coincidence. But if I turned around and go, and you meet somebody and they say, well, that's I'm using the J for jackal and it's a car and a glyph, well, then that's... You're using it for the same reason. That's the key thing, Jackal. Yeah, you know, it's like these guys are using the same lifts for the same specific astronomical concepts, like you know, which is so-
4: which is crazy. In fact, we're about to hit up a break here in, in a second, uh, in a minute here. Uh, we, we're going to start right there, James. When we come back, we'll, we'll start from there again because actually, I think that part of it is really just amazing—the fact that it's really all astrological. And I want to ask you about the the connection of the pyramids pointing true north. And uh, how that, that, that's going to be a good question coming up. Uh, again, guys, if you're listening in, uh, please call in if you have any questions for James. 786 8127 is the call-in number. Uh, when we come back, uh, I know Jamie has to go. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us here the first uh, hour of the show and uh, hanging out with us here yeah, on no, inside I'll... the Jacko's Head. Uh, guys, listen to his show every week, Sunday nights at 8 p.m. right here on uh, PSN Radio. Indeed. Inception Radio. And uh, like I said, we'll be right back. If you guys are listening in and you want to communicate with us, Skype us or call us. But go ahead and do that when we return from break with Mr. James Swagger. We'll be right back. Uh
1: Uh-huh.
4: Uh-huh. Put the beat up a little. Uh
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store.
0: Three, 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 seven, four. That's nine five four nine seven three thirty three seventy four. Or visit keyinformation.com. The Internet is not a brochure rack. You can't create a website like you'd create a brochure. Print it once, never update it. You've got to treat your website content like a business asset. But face it, you don't have time to focus on your web content. Turn it over to Ion Leap. We're an internet marketing agency who helps companies get found by search engines using robust content. Bring your website content to life. Learn more at ionleap.com. And more. Superman Homepage.com. Four thousand seven hundred and
2: thirty four UFO sightings in two thousand seven. 54 abductions by aliens or unknown species, reported by American and British citizens downloadable information from the largest selection of UFO products on the internet by going to theufostore.com or call on the 24-hour, 7-day-a-week order line at 541-523-2630. The truth is out there, and theufostore.com has it.
0: I want to tell you about Texas Radio and the Big beat.
1: Comes out of the Virginia swamps, cool and slow, with plenty of precision. The backbeat, narrow and hard to master.
3: Some call it heavenly, and it's brilliant. Others mean and roof of the western dream.
0: I love the friends I have gathered together at this thin route
2: We have constructed peer, we
4: have constructed This is the land the Alright everybody, we are back on Inside the Jackal's Head here on PSN Radio and of course SoFlow Radio, Inception Radio, Talk Stream Live, and just about everywhere else that we can get this show on the internet so you can come over and listen to. The Strangeness That Goes On Within My Head. Tonight is no different. We had Jamie Havikan joining me for the first hour here as my co-host. Kicking it with me old school because me and him go back like that. We were each other's co-hosts for a long time. So it's always fun to have him back on the show here. And our guest of the evening, Mr. James Swagger, has really been enlightening me to a lot of stuff that I didn't even know about. Ancient history stuff that I, I'm always fascinated to hit. Read about, talk about, but you know it's beyond my knowledge grasp. But some of the stuff that he's talking about, so now I got more homework
5: to do. Thank you, James, for giving me more homework. No, (laughs) no, (laughs) Uh, you know the funny thing is, you just uh, made me think that you know I I I do I do talk to a lot of people on other radio shows and even people that know me personally, and I'm always educating people about history. I'm a history boss, like you know. And the thing is, I go through a lot of information to give you the good stuff. So no kidding. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I mean, I I wish I could go through and just read one book with it all in it, like you know, and have all the juicy facts. But I mean, a lot of stuff there I don't agree with, and there's a lot of stuff mm. in there. It's got mistakes and erroneous, and it's and it's opinionated and. You know, it's, 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 it's maybe right, maybe wrong. Who knows? Like, you know, but I go through a lot of information. And, and when I do throw out those interesting facts, they're, they're all there from books I read, you know. And it's like, a, I have an insatiable desire for ancient history. That's what I just want to say. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's very hard to to talk history to people, uh, Jackal. And, and, you know, the thing is, I mean, everybody sees history as boring. And I, I never did. I just seen it as laborious yeah. getting through the, the historical uh, Jargon there to get to the good stuff, like you know, because that's.
4: Oh, I, I, I love historicals. I, I love reading about you know ancient history, uh, from, the, from the Roman Empire to Egyptian times. Uh, anything historical, it, it fascinates me because it's it's our past.
5: Yeah, yeah, and the thing is, I mean, a lot of the stuff I concentrate on, Jackal, is the history of engineering or the history of the science Mm -hmm. and and mostly ancient technology, ancient artifacts, ancient science, like, you know, because it gives me something to work on while I'm looking for the mysteries, if you want. Yeah. And there's a lot of mysteries of ancient technology and stuff like that. And, you know, so, but I I do think that the megalithic builders of uh, Ireland, Britain, and Western Europe, I mean, I concentrated on Ireland for a very good reason because there's a lot of art here, Jackal. I mean, we have like, 45% of the rock art of the whole of Europe is sitting in one mile radius, you know. In Ireland, it's it's astounding just that it's all in the one locale. Like, I mean, nearly half of it is in the one locale, basically, Jackal. You know, and the thing is, I, I, I there's a lot of art. It means there's a lot of ex- interpretation. There's a lot of explanation. There's a lot of something to go on, basically. So that's why I concentrate a lot on Ireland in the book. But I've been to like 400 places, uh, megalithic chambers, basically. Not just there's other monuments I've been to as well, but megalithic chambers I've been to 400 plus across whole of Western Europe, like. Uh,
4: now, here's a question I wanted to get to before we went to break. What do you think? A lot of these, uh, you know, structures like the pyramids, like I mentioned earlier. What do you think there is, there is such a connection astrologically to them? What, what do you think was the, the the mindset back then when they were building these things and they were doing the connection with with astrology?
5: Yeah, as above, so below, as they say, Jackal. You know, and right. and, and and the sky-ground correlations. If you want to talk about the pyramids, for example, which Robert Boval brought out, uh, had Robert on the show and. Um, actually I was talking about some geopolitics of actually Egypt at present more, it wasn't so much about uh, his famous Orion theory but basically the three belt stars of uh, Orion are mimicked with the pyramids on the ground and it, it's there's probably the greater correlation theory as well now where they say there's more pyramids to the north and to the south that co- incorporate the whole of Orion's belt and when you look at the uh, Tikal pyramids, that they mimic the Pleiades as well. And, and there's like Anchor, Anchor Tom mimicking the Draco constellation that Graham Hancock will talk about. But, I mean, y- you look at these sky-ground correlations, these mimicking these monuments uh, with these uh, uh, constellations. It's like, it, in one respect, as above, so below, these guys are mimicking constellations for a teaching function, but they're also encoding in esoteric information. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I see this more than anything in ancient Egypt, Jackal, where basically they th- just thought in different ways if you want to simplify it. You've got to understand you, you can't put our linear, left-brain, logical, material-based Western civilization viewpoint on ancient Egypt because it right. was so radically different in so many different ways. You've got to understand when... When you start teaching in hier- hieroglyphics, Jacko, okay, this might seem a bit of a long-winded Bob Geldof answer, by the way, but it's this is, <laughs> this is like based in fact, like, you know, that these guys understood to teach in symbology, you learn more, you take in more. It, it, okay, so left brain, linear logic, digital computer, right brain, uh, analog computer, simultaneous thought, complexity. You know, it's just, one's male, one's female, if you want to call it that. But, I mean, most uh, people on the planet can synchronize the hemispheres of their brain. So, it's not that you have a male brain or a female brain, but that's what they call them. The male brain is usually associated with the left and the female with the right. But, I mean, these guys were all about synchronizing the hemispheres of their brain. And, and how they did that was, they, this is why these guys were had a consciousness technology. They were just so much more evolved in consciousness and spirituality and, and death. And they, they didn't have a word for death. They had a word for westing, which is when the sun set and rose and uh, set in the west. That was what they called it, westing. You know, like. So the key thing is, though, you know, by teaching in sympology, by teaching in hieroglyphics, you know you're using an image like for an acronym to teach they they don't they actually think now that the hieroglyphs were there was a multitude of level of meanings behind them there was an, an abrupt meaning like a sentence or whatever describing something specific but the use of the animal characteristics or the symbolic thought also had like an acronym type name like uh like we have modern acronyms today but I mean, the key thing is, though, by teaching in terms of images and visual, you're, you're appealing to that right brain. And when you appeal to the right brain, you appeal to simultaneous thought. And right. the same thing encoding these constellations into the monuments like, you know, so aligning them, you're bringing the sky to ground. It's, it, it, your teaching platform is the world that you're living in. It's everything, like you know. You're living the information. You're living the the teaching platform. It's not just somebody trying to tell you. I, I'm surprised we have, you know, advanced people in 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 certain areas these days because the the level of education we have to get through in a in a left brain world, you know, it's so difficult. I mean, look at PhD physicists or astronomers. They're talking gobbledygook like to most people. <laughs> I thought. I mean, they, they're they in their own world, and quite rightly so, because to get there, they've had to go through how many years of primary school, secondary school, right, then right. they again go to university and they build up their mathematical knowledge, they build up their physics knowledge, and then they get to a specialised branch. And by the time they get to the end, they're the only ones that can understand them like, you know? <laughs> and. Yeah. It's a, and we le- and this is the, this is the problem it's a linear education system that we know and understand today, and we find it so hard to look back on what these guys were doing because we're looking back with a linear perspective, a linear logic, a linear education system, whereas these guys in ancient egypt is the prime example these guys thought left brain right brain now here's the thing the the corpus collapsum that joins the left and the right brain um uh, the I forget the actual name the, the, the lateral func- the lateral cortical function that you know the, when, when people have this corpus collapse and severed uh, or it's non-existent we have problems or disabilities like and if you look at uh, Kim Peake the real rain man the, the mm-hmm. guy the real Rainman man he had no corpus collapse at all now he, so he was locked in a left brain world fully 100% like now he had extreme abilities that nobody will probably never see again on this planet you know, awesome and awe inspiring that we know the limits of the human brain because of Kim Peake. But Kim Peake was able to read a book in eight minutes, Jackal, okay? And not only could he read a book in eight minutes, he could read it with his left eye on the left page inwards and his right page on the right, uh, with his right eye inwards. And no his, kidding. That's how he read a book. Most people didn't <laughs> know that. And not, the thing is, he didn't care. His brain was a supercomputer. He just took information, and he re- you know what? He re- he remembered 98% of it.
4: Oh, I believe you. you know, and that's it's funny you say that, uh, the brain being a supercomputer. I think all our brains are a supercomputer. Uh, we are just being dumbed down through a lot of stuff that happens within uh, the conditioning, within media, uh, stuff that they put in our foods, for example, that make us as a society dumber. I think there's a lot of that going on, and I think that we're being... Be from where we could actually be as human beings because of the fact that our brains are actually—it really is a supercomputer. There's so much knowledge there that we just can't tap into because of the stuff that they're doing to us. Yeah,
5: the, and and the thing is, Jackal as well. And to 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 give the counter argument that everything in ancient Egypt was about dumbing you up or or de-dumbing you. Up, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, and, uh, and the thing is, I mean, they these guys knew that when you teach in symbology, mm. yeah, um, the. You watch, What happens basically is the left brain comes down, okay, it matches with the right, and then they both come back up together. So the sum of the parts is better than the actual individual sums of the two put together. You know, it's like by synchronizing the hemispheres of the brain, both come back up to the same level again, you know. Now, that's extremely hard to do. You won't do this in a wet weekend, and, and you won't do it... Uh, you know, reading some books on ancient Egypt and consciousness and, and corpus collapsum. I mean, you have to train your brain to do it. There's ways to do it. Yoga actually can help you synchronize the hemispheres of your brain. Hmm. Uh, and when you, uh, I mean, the, we only know about this corpus collapsum and the and le- the, the lateral cortical function, this left brain and right brain hemispheres, re- relatively recently because of uh, studies done with brain scans and CAT scans. And I mean, I was going to go and do a PhD in uh, medical physics. I never did. No yeah, this is what I was gonna do. I was gonna build MRI scanning machines. Oh uh, wow. And CAT scans. I had a I had a place offered in uh the Kausta King Abdullah of University of Science Technology in Saudi Arabia. Um I was gonna go, I had a I had a PhD program offered to me and I never went in the end. I, I got at that time in my life I, I had just spent 10 years at university at night school and I mean I did two degrees two masters Jekyll, and I went that's enough I, I, I can't take anymore I just want to go and use some of it or, or you know I, I, I wanted out of the engineering game and I didn't know what I wanted so I did a masters in research science and society I did a physics astronomy degree there are academic degrees I did at night school I never used them you know I just kind of I ended up becoming an author for some various and strange reasons. But I mean, I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad I did because I would have been back over there, you know, just, uh, you know, it would have been great. Like, you know, I would. don't get me wrong. I, I wanted to go and do the medical physics because I loved the the brain and neurology. And, you know, I, I understand that now when you look at the works of Schwaller de Lubis, like, and he has researched ancient Egypt and he was a genius of his day as well. And he's the one that cracked this esoteric knowledge of hemispheres of the brain. And now the thing is, this course is collapsing when it, when it's not there. Like I explained, this you have the Rainman type uh, uh, intelligence, like. But it's the problem is the, the right brain's not there either. So you he he wasn't able to dress himself, or you know he, he had like major disabilities, like. But you know his memory retention, nobody will ever ever touch that. We I mean, we couldn't even design a computer that would be able to do that. I mean, at will like that, you know. He I mean, could remember any postcode of any place and, and anywhere. Like you know, he could remember everything in ancient history from like eh, eh, queens and kings of England to the dates they were born, what day of the week it was. I mean, wow. eh, you know, it, I, I recommend people to watch the Kim Peek, the real Raid Man on on YouTube. It's a, it's a wonderful documentary. And but the key thing is though, you know, we know a lot about because of him because of that. Now, here's the thing: when when you hypnotize somebody, Jackal, the it's easier to hypnotize somebody. And this is where I'm going to tie it in now. This, it's easier to hypnotize somebody who has a bigger corpus collapsum. This, this cord that links the left and the right hemispheres is in the red. It's easier to hypnotize them and when you see hypnotists like uh, Darren Brown, although he doesn't call himself a hypnotist on the air because of legal uh, requirements, he calls himself programming, and it's all about magic and stuff. But it's basically <laughs> it, well, yeah. Well, there was a reason for that. There was a guy called Dar- Dennis uh, Terence McKenna uh, who Terence McKenna, yep, we're him. Ter- yeah, he got sued for two hundred fifty thousand in pounds in a lawsuit in England, and. Mm. Uh, because of that, so that's why they don't use the word hypnotism anymore. But anyway, when a hypnotist, and uh, you'll see showmen hypnotists, they, they, they ask a series of questions uh, to the audience. When they were trying to wean out, they're trying to find out those one in five people that have the bigger carcass collapse these big, because you can ask a series of questions, and the people that respond in a certain way or respond quicker are the ones that are more open to hypnotic suggestion. I mean, the reason they're open hips are not a suggestion, because one in five people statistically have a bigger corpus collapsing. Now, hmm, so, that's interesting. Yes, this is... I mean, my dad's a hypnotist, by the way. yeah. Uh, um, oh, I didn't know that. No kidding. Yeah, this is why I know this. Like, I mean, my dad's a mechanical engineer and a hypnotist and plays musical instruments by ear. He's left-handed. He can't read sheet music. He He's a genius in many levels. Like, he he's almost got an autistic savant trait himself but he's not autistic like but i mean he can basically listen to a piece of music from start to finish he can't read cheap music by the way yeah i have to say that he can't he he's only ever wrote his name in his entire life okay that's it he doesn't write just wow. read he doesn't write he doesn't read he retired at the age of 40 with his money made uh, he's just a genius he's been an entrepreneur of 15 different businesses he's incredibly shrewd uh acumen but his left brain and he and he's uh, sorry his right brain he's got a left hand like you know and he has this trait where you can listen to a piece of music from start to finish and reproduce it on seven or eight different instruments like from keyboards accordions he doesn't even you know those buttons on the side of an accordion yeah he doesn't even know what they are he just knows how to, form it. <laughs> he just knows how to press them when to press them well it's not even that he, he formulates the scale in his head He'll, hit, he'll find the scale by hitting two or three notes on the keyboard. He'll look at the spacing, and he'll understand the spacing. You know, It's just pure genius. You just can't teach it to people. That is genius. Yeah, and the thing is, that I mean, that's the, that's the right brain kicking in. It's the extreme left. Or sorry, the extreme left is the digital recorder, the, the, the digital information like, like Kim Peake. And, and I say the extreme right brain, especially in a male. When you see a left-handed male... That means they're using the right side of their brain. I don't know if you know that. And if you use your right hand, it means you're a left brain person. It's the I use you, my
4: right hand so I'm a left. You're a left side brain. of my brain person. Yes.
5: Okay. If you're a left handed person, it means you use your right brain. I don't know if you know that. Most people, I didn't know that. Now I do. Uh, well, well, so somebody who's left handed basically means they use their right brain. And my dad like is that analog computer where he's able to formulate he can do that that's what's called the simultaneous thought effect. Whereas you can take in he takes in the scale and formulates the scale in his head because he's formulating it he's taking the information in and simultaneously doing it all at once like he just does it a different way so him he's just doing it a different way but the point is that this right brain and this left brain it's all linked if you know people with the biggest corpus callosum are all open to hypnotic suggestion right but the ancient egyptians were all about synchronizing the hemispheres of the brain and in doing so they were opening themselves to more symbolic thought. And when they were opening themselves to more symbolic thought, they were raising their the corpus collapse, and, and, and they were basically hmm. making themselves evolve more consciously. I mean, these guys were just educating themselves to educate themselves to educate themselves. And, and, but they, here's the kicker. It's a dangerous thing as well because look what happened with Nazi Germany when he taught people with symbology. He gave them the swastika, the ideology, the symbology. Right. He started branding them. And they all like were going into a trance, but they weren't all going it. I mean, one in five people were open to hypnotic suggestion. He basically hypnotized the nation. Now, yeah, but I mean, so the intent has to be good behind it. Is my point, Jack? Like, you know, well, you know,
4: that's, it's funny you say that. But every dictator who's ever taken over any country or, or has ever had his rule per se has always been a a real, real good public speaker. And Hitler was known to be a very good public speaker. And yeah, he did, did have like almost a hypnotic effect over the entire population
5: he told the people want to want them to hear yeah he appealed to their ego he he got used symbology in the swastika and the third reich and it was all in ideology and symbology and the thing is one in five people are susceptible to that now that's not a bad thing on my point is good intent behind it right. ba- bad intent behind it it's not neither good or bad I don't think you're like just because you can be hypnotized that that's a bad thing that's quite wrong I mean I personally I would love to have a bigger corpus collapse and like and not be a left brain I'm a very left brain creature by the way I have extremely deep uh, like a uh, memory retention for like facts and figures like you know and it can remember weird facts about the days of the week as well like you know and it's like the thing is it's, it, it depends what part of your visual cortex you use as well and how you remember information but I mean I mean, if you are a left brainer or a right brainer you should try and hink- synchronize the hemispheres of your the brain there is yoga techniques to help you do that where you breathe in one nostril and out through another and, and you basically you're getting your brain to use the left side of your body and the right side of your body by going in one side out the other You know, there's techniques you can do and that makes you forces your brain to use the right and the left together and, and therefore synchronize so the, the key thing is, though, the ancient culture of ancient Egypt. You have to understand that. I mean, most people don't talk about this. The Egyptologists don't even address this in any way. But these guys were able to use this right brain. Uh, now they embrace the left brain too. I mean, they, they they when you see all the ancient statues, they of, of ancient Egypt, the uh, dynastic period. Like, I mean, they, they you see the man and the woman sitting side by side, ruling together. You know, mm-hmm. her, she's actually probably more of a deity than he is, and she's got right. the arm around him or the arm around the waist. They're sitting side by side, running the empire together. As were the Celts, by the way. I mean, they 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 had a the woman was as revered as the as the male in the in the society. But then you have uh, patriarchy kicking in. Matriarchy's on the way out. Patriarchy kicks in, and patriarchal is this male-dominated, left-brain culture that really kicked in about 1400 BC, just to all cultures around the world. But the key thing is that matriarchy is not the opposite of patriarchy matriarchy is man and woman right brain left brain ruling together um patriarchy is just this male left brain dominating you know it's not like uh it's bizarre like you know but i mean this is what deep ancient culture in ancient egypt really stems from and when you understand that this uh ancient egyptian philosophy of this you know simultaneous thought the artistic expression the ideology the symbology there was a reason, it was all esoteric teaching they were all encoding information in within information, they designed their temples with the Fibonacci and they had the, the, the flower of life which encodes the platonic solids, like these guys were just many levels above in terms of geometric thought and uh, expression and consciousness and you know, philosophy and like they, yes, okay, they weren't advanced in material based civilization but right. like, metallurgy and other things, but they didn't need it. They 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 didn't care. That was that was like material based. What didn't was irrelevant to them. Like you know, they just James. You got to wonder the what sparked this interest
4: in in ancient people in this in this world. I mean, what sparked the interest to be this way? I mean, they had to be the first guy who said, you know what, I'm going to start doing this this way.
5: Oh yeah, I mean that's the big question of all, Jack. <laughs> because when you go back to 3000 BC the very start of the story is the most advanced. And we, it's, like, it's like we de- devolve, like. We
4: don't, yeah, you know, it's funny because it, it, the, way, the, reason, the reason I say that is because we didn't discover telescopes as, like, what, the 17th century around there, 16th, 17th century. So it, you would figure that a civilization that old would not have no interest whatsoever in astrology or space but yet they were so completely overtaken by astrology and they were so deeply overtaken about knowledge and building like you said their brain uh, which again we we really are being dumbed down from where we were back yeah then.
5: well actually there's there's ancient crystal lenses going back to merely every ancient culture and i'm not so sure now there's been no telescope found or no tube or assembly found. right there are ancient crystal lenses going back. And this is some of the ancient technology that I, I like to research. And you can probably appreciate why, but being the engineer, scientist, systems analyst. But I mean, Babylonia has ancient crystal lenses from the Nimrod lens would be one of the most exa- uh, famous examples. But equally in ancient Egypt, there was crystal lenses. Crystals, by the way, is uh, you can only cut crystal with crystal or diamond. Like it's right. extremely hard. The, the hardness index of is nine out of 10, I believe. Silicon dioxide um, on the MOS scale. Uh, this scale, diamond being 10, um, and the smallest being 1-like. But, I mean, anything between corundum or steel is about 6-like, you know. And, um, so, I mean, these ancient crystal lenses shouldn't even exist. Like, you know, right. We don't even know how they actually formed them. Some of them actually are convex and concave. And, and you know, might, that means they had to be toroidally ground. The toroid is the shape of a donut, by the way. So the tool was a toroid, in other words, a donut shaped tool had to grind the lens and therefore the donut shaped tool had to be made out of crystal as well, at least. So therefore, how do you make the donut shaped tool? Because then that makes it even more complex than the actual device that was made. So, right. you know, these guys had like ancient technology. They they had different ways of doing things. They when you imagine an i've I set you the task of building the pyramid or i set you the task of building a temple and using large stones and you come in in your left brain world the only thing you're going to use is physics or linear logic or maybe these guys had different techniques they maybe they sat and thought about it for about a day and a half before they jumped up and tried to maneuver it with a lever like you know it's like they maybe i i often tell people when they look at me and i do them tours i do book tours here in ireland for the book and I mean, they asked me how they build dolmens and shift these big 150-ton, 100-ton capstones. I think I I live beside uh, one of the, uh, in Donegal here, and uh, the largest uh, capstone in the northwest of the country is 70 tons, uh, Jackal. Now, it's seventy seventy 70-ton capstone in the shape of a triangle. They all seem to be a triangular, harp-shaped stone as well, sitting balanced on three pedestals. Now, the the heaviest capstone of any dolmen in Europe is 150 tons and it's in Carlo, about fifty miles south of Dublin. And uh it's you know 150 tons. I think they say the there's other ones in France I think it's hundred tons now. That's incredibly massive stone to be uh getting up on top of three pedestals. But think about it, I mean if you if you put the three pedestals in the ground, yeah, and stood them up. Now some of these, by the way, there's a dolmen in England which is like 16 foot high, like, you know, so you couldn't even have lifted it above your heads, like, even if you were able to lift a 100 tons stone, but the point is, if you put these three pedestals, these three standing stones, which, by the way, the standing stone that the uh, capstone's balanced on, has to be equally in as much in the ground as it is above the ground so if you have a 10 foot above the ground you have to have 10 foot in the ground so you get them all in place and you fill sand and soil and cover them up till you just see the top of them and then you drag up the up the hill you drag this dolman capstone up the hill and dig away the dirt and it falls down and lands on top of the three pedestals like so you know ideology and thought processes like can be used to discover our, our methods methodology basically you know and I just think that's the way these guys did things. They had a methodology behind everything they did, you know. And sure, they may have had technologies that were curiosities to them. Maybe they had crystal lenses that they could, like, look at some stars, constellations. I'm open to that. I'm open to them even having the telescope. There's a book by uh, Crystal Sun by Robert Temple, who obviously researched the Dogon as well. And the, research, the reason he wrote Crystal Sun was... Uh, he was looking at ancient crystal technology because he wanted to see could he prove the existence of the telescope long before it was actually accepted um, right. by looking at crystal technology. But there's, I mean, the Vikings had crystal lenses, and they reckon the Vikings robbed them off somebody because they, they, the Vikings didn't have the technology to make them. Um, there's uh, um, some in Iran as well. Um, there's some... The biggest piece of glass as well, by the way, to ever exist was... Uh, Al-Best Al-Sharim in uh, Israel. It was until the telescope built in American University uh, lab in the 1960s. Uh, it was the biggest piece of glass ever made in the world. Eight tons, I think it was. It was like eight foot by four foot by two foot thick. And uh, how they even got the. Wow. D- how they. Yeah, I mean, in ancient How did time, they make that? Well, they they, they put it in a pit in the ground, but to get the temperature up to that, they baked it in a pit in the ground, like, and it was still in place, you see. And then they didn't even know. it. They only discovered this recently. Like, and uh, they they bought a bulldozer in to clear away some rubble, and they, they hit this lump of eight ton piece of uh, uh, glass. It was a purplish glass as well. Now, you know what were they going to do with an eight ton? Why they made it that big? There's no uh, reason why they made it that big. You know, it's. I it's- mean,
4: even with with whatever crystal technology they might have had, though, I mean, how far could they have really seen in the sky to be able to? to- you know, be so interested in astrology?
5: Well, I must say that the crystal lenses that do exist all seem to be for eye correction, as in myopia or right. uh, defects in the eye for short-sightedness, long-sightedness, and stuff like that. But So they wouldn't have been very powerful. I mean, Emperor Nero uh, in Rome was known to have a green uh, crystal lens that he could look through that would uh, refract uh, light and correct his uh, optical problem, like, of myopia. Hmm. Now, obviously it was a green crystal. So he, everything he looked through to see the was green. Like, but, uh, <laughs> but well, that was the type of crystal that they had. But I mean, it was a natural material for them to grind. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I think the I think the the, the lenses would have been around the eye problems, around uh, amplification two, three, whatever it is. But I mean, yeah, you know, it's like it's mind-boggling. But I mean, there's there's technologies there. Like there's these granite vases uh, as well, Jackal. A granite vases that basically have a very very narrow neck. They're diorite sh- schists, uh, and they have a very narrow neck, but they're hollowed out on the inside. So if it's all one piece of stone, how did they carve these out? And these are like going back right. to pre-dynastic times, like you know, at least three thousand BC. Some of right, the most right, right. sophisticated artifacts in ancient right. Egypt, and uh, you know, mind-boggling. I mean, what do, you, what do you
4: make? What do you make of like the Baghdad battery, for for example. What do you make of that? I mean, uh, definitely they, that seems like a legit invention from the Egyptians.
5: Oh, totally. Uh, well, no, they, it's, they, 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 that's uh, Babylonian. Uh, it's actually, from they, they misclassify it uh, from Babylon as the Sassanin period. But the Sassanids uh, were basically warmongers that had no technology, and they just really inherited it from an e- earlier period. But there's several mm. of them that exist. There's not just one example. It sits in the British Museum now, um yeah I mean the german guy william conig he he uh discovered this in the 1930s and uh he basically realized that was a battery realized what, what it was the thing is the problem with that is it's not that whether it exists or whether it is a battery it's what it, did they use it for and therefore we wrestle in our civilization going oh oh the egyptians had the battery or the babylonians had the battery and i you know uh, they they say the Egyptians would have known about it and probably had it. I mean, they reckon the Egyptians and the Babylonians were linked at least rudimentary, like. And uh, But um, I think the Baghdad battery basically it could have been a medical curiosity. I mean, when you look at the Greeks, they used to uh, treat ailments by putting their feet into electric eels because when mm. you get electric shocks to your feet, it, it's like a numbing effect for pain. Right. Uh, yep. So, I mean, there could have been some sort of a medical curiosity where they zapped people now where 's the wires for the batteries that 's what people say maybe there right. was, maybe there was some sort of a mystical experience that when you touched the your tongue off the thing, you know you could have got like the you put like an alkaline cell on your on your tongue like you know who knows there could have been sort of a curiosity like that, but i 'm open to them having wires. The wires have never been found, so therefore it wasn 't the it wasn't a sophisticated battery system, but it was a battery. It was a technology they had a science like. They had a science. There's many artifacts. You look at the uh, the Antikythera mechanism from Greece as well. Like you know the island of Antikythera, and it's like an ancient planetarium with like epicyclic gearing. 1400 years before we can we we invented gearing for clocks, like you know it's like one of the most incredibly sophisticated gear tooth mechanisms ever to have existed, and it's it's like uh, dated to three. 100 BC like you know it's like it's astounding like you know it's like it's a, actually a mon- modern planetarium that can actually predict the eclipse of the sun and not only that can actually predict whether it's going to be red r- or, or or white like you know whether Oh it's, wow or orange red orange or white like yeah it's wow, not that's incredible yeah you, yeah the antikythera mechanism like i mean I, I hope to actually i have an engineering friend uh we hope to do a replica of the anti-kitter Now, there's been many replicas made, but it's a bit stealthy at the moment. I can't say why I'm building a replica, but, I mean, there's been many replicas made, but we have a little project. We're going to make a replica. Um, but, I mean, yeah, there's, like, a Dutch guy made one in California, and uh, an English clockmaker made one, a replica of it as well, and there's variations in designs of the replicas. They actually had to bring, like, a massive, like... Uh, 3 an x-ray machine to grease because they wouldn't even let it out of the museum. So they brought the x-ray machine to grease to x-ray these the fragments that were left. And by x-raying it, they were able to do uh, 3D x-ray photography and take it by layer by layer, like CAT scan the whole thing, basically. Um, they have reflectance photography. They were able to bring out detail in it as well. And they can see how many gear teeth are on each cog. There's something like 65 uh, gear teeth, like. Incre- and, and all condensed into a tiny box, like. But one of the the gear teeth, two gear teeth had 50, you see, and it was the 50-50 gear train. But they put one on a pin and slot mechanism to simulate the, uh, by a 50-50, there was no reason for putting a 50-tooth gear with a 50-tooth gear. It didn't make sense. But when you put it on on a pin and slot so that it can swivel, you basically can simulate the oval trajectory of the sun. And and, and that's what happened. They were able to simulate the... uh, the seasons of the year as well like you know incredibly sophisticated epicyclic gearing like you know it's like no but, it's incredible you know so ancient technology is is not to be denied i mean we have no idea we're only looking at a fragment of what was left but
4: i, yeah, I no, think. that's not there's no joke right then that's exactly why i always say that it's funny how people are so quick to jump on the bandwagon oh aliens must have helped us you know, we actually are pretty uh, pretty genius when it comes to technology, and we have always been, I think. I mean, there's always been technology of some sort on this planet. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm positive of it.
5: You know, when I look at the megalithic civilization and the research that I've done, I mean, my sequel, I, I, I get into the acoustics as well, Jackal. It's a minefield of research in itself. I mean, these guys had an acoustics knowledge second to none. They knew how to... They, they 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 had if you draw a sound map of these megalithic chambers that i wrote about basically you know you can see the acoustic map of like they they knew how sound refracted i mean Gavrinus megalithic chamber they had an acoustics technology there you you can see it they wrote it down on the, if you look up Gavrinus megalithic chamber um, you'll see it looks like constructive and destructive interference of wave patterns. They were drawing basically acoustics waves. All these megalithic chambers all resonate at the male vocal range or female vocal range like I've measured one or two in Ireland. But the hypogeum in Malta is a megalithic uh, complex uh, linked with the megalithic chambers. And they also even curved a little niche that when you speak into this niche that the whole chamber resonates at only nice. at the male only at the male vocal range. And they reckon they were hemis- synchronizing the hemispheres of their brain doing this. All these megalithic chambers as well, when, you, uh, when you're inside a megalithic chamber, you're basically inside a sound box. You're actually inside an experiment. And if you start sustaining a drum beat between seven and, uh, five and seven hertz, five to seven times a second, which I've done quite recently, on a, and it's on my YouTube channel, jamesswagger.com, James Swagger D-O-T-C-O-M, and to YouTube, and you'll see some acoustic experiments I've been doing with some people, but basically the the chambers basically uh become the experiment like and you're in the experiment and your brain you will affect your brain waves like if you beat a drum five to seven times a second, that's five to seven hertz, which is theta frequencies, and your brain will go into a like a trans hypnotic effect. And you will synchronize the hemisphere of your brain. You're going to the, the you know, the, the alpha, beta, theta frequencies, like, you know, and these guys are exploring their consciousness, like, you know. Right. Now, why would they do that? I think these guys started life with, with rich fertility and rituals at these ancient monuments. I think they explored their consciousness at these monuments. And I think when they died, the astronomer priests, they got buried there, like. Astronomy was one type of science that they used. So was acoustics. So was consciousness that that was their science of the day consciousness and everywhere you look around the planet consciousness was explored Astro, uh, astrology yeah. astrology astronomy was explored and as was acoustics every the ancient egyptians were masters of acoustics as well as were the mayan they were masters of uh, mathematics as well like you know there's no evidence of the mathematics in the megalithic civilization but i mean when you look at the egyptians they had like a binary system you know where they hmm. basically everything was multiples of 2 and they were uh, that it wasn't like ones and zeros to them basically they they were able to multiply large numbers by putting everything to the power of two and by putting everything to the power of two is basically binary logic. They might not have called it binary logic and they right. might not, they might not have wrote it down in ones and zeros, but the ideology that they were using was a binary logic ideology it's the same as the uh, ancient Chinese they had a binary system as well did mm. they did each one rediscover the process most likely but I mean it's very, very sophisticated ancient culture, Jackal. Very sophisticated like. more yeah, than
4: It's more, amazing. More than we give them like you know? It's, it's an amazing history that this planet has. Uh, James, it's been an honor having you on here. And I, I love the fact that you're on the network, like I said earlier, on PSN Radio. Give everybody the times of your show so they can listen in every week on uh, Capricorn Radio.
5: Sure. It's a pleasure to be here on the network, uh, Jackal. Uh, yeah, the... Website is CapricornRadio.com, and I usually have uh, just some archives there if people want to listen. But the times I'm on PSN Radio is 2 p.m. Eastern on a Tuesday, and let me get this right, 7 p.m. Eastern on a Friday. Hope I have that right.
4: That is, that sounds about right.
5: Yeah. 2, p- 2 p.m.? 7 p.m., yep. Yeah, I'm calculating <laughs> Eastern time here. Um, but as I just discovered, you guys are on a different time to me. Mm. Uh, tonight, because I nearly missed the show by an error. Uh,
4: no, It's funny, because you made it right on time, too, and you thought you were going to be late, but you are perfect. So yeah, at 6 p.m. on Fridays and 2 p.m. on Tuesdays, please check out Capricorn Radio right here on PSN-Radio. Uh, James, uh, real quick, I wanted to ask you before we let you go, um, is there another book in the works? I know you've, you've already put out yeah. two books. Are you working on a third book now, follow-up?
5: Yeah, I, well... I... Not, it's not necessarily a follow-up, but you can, by the way, you can go to jamesswagger.com and uh, you can check out my books there. I have a book page called Newgrange Cosmology, but it's linked up at jamesswagger.com. Everything I do is on jamesswagger.com. It's my biography page. But uh, yeah, I have uh, the Megalith Acoustics book is coming out this month. And I have an idea for a book, but I might be doing a documentary with it. I oh, in- cool. Yeah, and it's about consciousness and ancient Egypt and uh, Schueller de Lubis, and I, you know, I'm a little bit. Well, I, that's going to be a long-term project, so I might want to do some more research for that. You know, I I like to do the research well and, and like to be pr- very particular about what I want to do. But I have three guidebooks that I'm rolling up by the end of the year because I've gone to all these megalithic sites in Ireland and uh, basically, uh, you know. The, the three guidebooks are just a wealth of information that I happen to have anyway. So I put them into three guidebooks. So that's kind of not an illustrious... It's more laborious than anything, but it's... An- <laughs> I like the mystery books, by the way, but uh, it's a great service to do the books because, I mean, they're they're not there. They don't even exist in the record and people are always asking me and I might as well put it in a book and put it for a relatively recently decent price on there. So, yeah, I'm going to roll out those three guidebooks by uh, the end of the year. That's really this year wrapped up for me. But, uh, yeah, I'm working on this project next year and and, I want to turn my eyes to ancient Egypt and uh, I'm not done on the megaliths by any means. I have another a bit of dolmen research i've been asked to go to asia to uh korea to talk about dolmens and research the dolmens over there because there's dolmens all over this planet even in america oh wow yeah upstate in uh new york there's one dolmen but apparently they were glacially deposited uh Hmm. uh, on top of three upright stones accidentally all in the one region apparently in america like so you know that's that's the way of explaining it away like but i mean uh yeah, I mean, there's Dalmas all over this planet, like India, India Russia, uh, Indonesia, uh, uh, Korea, you know, Ireland, England, France, all around Western Europe, like, you know, you know, just littered everywhere. Some in North Africa as well, like, you know, and, uh, you know, so these, these diamonds are popping up everywhere. So that's, I'm going to turn my eyes to that, like, and uh, see what I can come up with as well. So I've got a lot of things in the pipeline. It's just I'm getting pulled in which direction, which one to do first, um, Jack. it's been a pleasure being here. It really has, like, and that.
4: You're you're the most busiest man on radio, without a doubt.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wasn't. I actually help other people set up radios as well and do some stuff. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do that right now to um my good friend Catherine Bucklew at Truth Connections and um, yeah if i can help people that do stuff with radio i just I, I think it's a system the whole of internet radio is a system of knowledge like and how Agreed, to do yeah. shows and audio editing your shows and i don't i like to help people if i can give out knowledge i will like you know but uh
4: i feel the same way my friend and again it's been a, just a, a great pleasure having you on here on inside the jackal's head uh guys we're actually a little bit over we're completely out of time but we'll be back next week same jackal channel which is psn-radio.com and of course soflow radio and inceptionradio.com uh and also at same time 10 p.m eastern the following inception radio right here so check us out next week and i look forward to having everybody listening and hopefully i uh, get some calls next week james a pleasure my friend thank you so much and i look forward to uh, hearing your show on tuesday
5: thank you jackal it's been a pleasure talk to you soon
4: talk to you soon my friend everybody take care good night and we'll see you soon
1: Escape while you can. Run, run, go now, run. This is the